Hey, it's me, Colin. Before we get into this week's knockback, I want to remind you that All Things Colin's Last Stand, Fireside Chats, SideQuest, Knockback, and more, are fan-funded at patreon.com slash Stand. While your patronage isn't required, it is super helpful and allows CLS to continue producing content. Supporting CLS on Patreon also gets you perks depending on your level of patronage, like exclusive podcasts, week early access to every episode of Fireside Chats and Knockback, the ability to vote on show topics, and more. If you like what CLS does, please consider showing your support. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your continued kindness and generosity. Trust me, it's not lost on me. And now, it's time for Knockback. Enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Colin's Last Stand Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined, as always, by my brother, young Indy himself, Dagan Moriarty. Watch me whip. Now watch me nay-nay. Watch me whip, whip. Now watch me nay-nay. That song was written after Indiana Jones. <laughs> it was inspired by Indiana Jones. I hope Specifically, the Crystal Skull, which we're not going to be talking about on this episode because I refuse to talk about it. Actually, so, Dagan, we came up with this topic. You came up with this topic of Indiana Jones, which is a great topic because we both love Indiana Jones, specifically the original trilogy. Also, we, I, I think we both like Young Indy. I remember watching it with you when I was a Good kid. Good show. Dun, 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 dun. It still sounds like a lot. Of, it still sounds very similar to Superman to me. But anyway, it is, and he did the Superman. That's right. Theme. So Such a, I, I was I was reading something about how there's like some. I'm a musician, but I don't quite hear the that I don't quite see the tendrils the way other people see it. That you can connect certain melodies and whatnot with Star Wars and then Indy and then Superman with with John Williams's work, which is obviously awesome in Indiana Jones. He's a hack. <laughs> I don't think anybody's ever called John Williams a hack. Can you imagine? I'm so original. Can you imagine? You are original. I am. I'm unique. As 311 would say, you come original, which also sounds a little dirty. Now we've gotten a little dirty in a lot of these, a lot of these episodes. It's and true. I, I'm sorry. I don't mean. I'm to be, ashamed of this. I know it's really horrifying. This episode again is is dedicated to Indiana Jones, but originally I wanted to talk about the whole breadth of Indiana Jones, which would have been the trilogy. Crystal Skull, which came out in 2008, the young indie stuff, not with River Phoenix, but the series, obviously, and then even maybe getting into the video games in the future stuff as well, but I feel like that's way too much to bite off, so there is going to be apparently a fifth movie, unfortunately, in 2020, so we can, if, if Knockback still exists at that point, I hope that it does, we can revisit Indiana Jones by talking about the more recent stuff, that being the young indie series in the early 90s. Crystal Skull in 2008, the video games, etc. and so on. So we can revisit this in the future. I wanted to really focus this only on the trilogy, not only because they're great, but also because I didn't want to kill myself while we were recording this. Because <laughs> I can't stand that. Sorry, movie. five Crystal Skull fans out there. Yeah, there's there you are. You a lot of you out there really enjoy the 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 scene when they're swinging through the forest with the monkeys. That was really awesome. That <laughs> that definitely didn't have George Lucas written all over it. So Dagan. I'm really interested to talk to you about Indiana Jones. I'm most interested, I think, to talk to you about the first two movies because Last Crusade I was around for. And yeah. I remember seeing it, like renting it when I was a kid or whatever. But I was born in 84. You were born in, in 74. So 73, actually. So you should have been born in 74. You're almost Thank there. You. Thank You're you. You're almost there. And Raiders of the Lost Ark came out in 1981. Temple of Doom came out in 1984. So you saw those movies in the theater. I didn't see them in the theater. I didn't. I was, or at least I, I didn't have the opportunity to see them in the theater. Correct. Theater, also known as the theater. Theater. The cinema. Cinema. And so I wanted to begin our conversation about indie with 
your kind of high level thoughts about the trilogy. What you who is Indiana Jones? What do you think of him? Why is he important to you? And then I'll get into that. And then we can dive into each movie individually, okay. reminisce about it, talk about why Temple of Doom is the best one and all of that. So <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah, so and no, I'm not kidding. So don't shut it off. Oh, don't shut the podcast off. This is going to be if good. If you're a Temple of Doom hater, you're in for a ride, a Let wild ride. Let the man ride. make his case. Dave, go ahead. Tell me a little bit about okay. Indy, your memories of it and all of this. Okay, sounds like a plan. All right, so Raiders. You know what's funny about Raiders, Kyle? I don't remember seeing it. Oddly, I don't think I saw it in the theater. Interesting. Now, which is very odd coming from my movie-watching pedigree, um, and we go into this in the, the movies that we watched, Too Young episode, but with mom, mom and dad's seemingly sort of cruel way of letting me watch movies that I shouldn't really have been watching, such as John Carpenter's The Thing, Watership Down, all the movies that we talk about, Poltergeist, all the movies that we talk about that sort of, sort of disturbed me and scarred me a little bit as a child. So I don't know why Raiders would be any different, you know? So you're as, saying that you were interested in seeing it, but that mom and dad wouldn't No, I don't remember being interested in it. I just, I'm just, I'm half joking, but I would, okay. as soon as mom and dad heard, spoiler alert, that there was melting faces at the end of it, I don't know why they were, we weren't there first in line. Right, dad was, I'm surprised dad wasn't waiting overnight. We could disturb this kid even more, but why, let's go, you know? There's gore in this movie, this kid hates gore, let's do he this. Did see the movie about the young girl and the television and the yes. pot smoking parents so why not yeah. although that was after that's 82 technically this is 81 and the so. super hostile alien taking out an entire you know research colony in the in the arctic or right antarctic. right they were fine with that they were fine with that we always have to take a shot at mom and dad we oh love, yeah we Poor love mom, mom and dad, dad dearly but, but they both listen to this too yeah they do which is even funnier which so. is why i do it and so <laughs> <laughs> so you know revenge or whatever so with Raiders, I do remember seeing it. Now, you know what's funny? When I was researching for the episode, I realized that I saw the movie. I'm almost certain that either I don't remember seeing it in the theater. Or I don't really think I did because I have a really good memory of everything I saw in the theater or in the drive-in as it was back then. But for some reason, I re remember seeing Raiders for the first time on the small screen. And I thought I saw it on HBO at my friend Tommy's house. I have a distinctive memory of that, really distinct memory of that. But when I researched it, HBO apparently didn't play this until 84. And I thought I was a little younger than that. So it's possible that I saw it on VHS because I think it. I, th I believe they did drop it on VHS some, somewhere earlier than 84. Of course, theatrically, it was 81. So they must have dropped it on VHS before it hit HBO. I think that's what the article, it was an old New York Times article that I was reading how HBO was getting things too late and sort of the buzz was over by the time and the, how their ratings were kind of, you know, they were in the habit of getting things after people lost interest. Maybe you saw it on Showtime since we had that for some reason. We did have Showtime, which always had wonderful films. <laughs> the, the, I, I swear, Showtime played like the same three movies for like a month straight. I mean, it's it's pretty bad now. I like Ray Donovan, but... It's it was so bad then, but I thought I saw I must have saw it on HBO. Maybe I did see it a little later. Maybe I did see it in early '84, or maybe I saw it on VHS. So I definitely saw it on the small screen first. But what really struck me about it, of course, as many people my age, Harrison, you know, Han Solo's in it. So that's one that's one huge thing. Han Solo's in in the film, Harrison Ford, of course. So that was a draw. But you know what? I loved it. I was really struck by. Even as a kid, I was really struck by the sense of adventure. And one really cool thing about Raiders is it has it has a real sense of peril and a real sense of danger and adventure and everything. But it's not too heavy for a kid. 
there's it gets a little heavier. It it, it is, but it's enough to it's enough to make the kid if he's covering his eyes, at least he has them separated so he could see a little bit. You know, the Alfred Molina character, you know, who's Andy's helper, dies in the beginning pretty horribly with the spears through the back of his head. And you have the whole bit with the the ending, which is pretty pretty gruesome, actually. But for the most part, it's pretty... I could see a kid of my age being into it. And I was so drawn into it. And it was so fun. And you know how I mark it as important? To me, in retrospect, I was buying... I was into buying the toys of it. This I is what I was going to ask you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I didn't get too far with it, but I do remember a certain mark, a certain delineation where I was like, oh, I'm going to take a break from Star Wars for a second and just get some Indiana Jones stuff. And I think it was basically a few figures. And I don't think I even... They, there was very few play sets and vehicles. There were a few. There were three, I think, play But sets. I didn't have any of that. And I, I wish I, I had them in retrospect. And I heard that Indiana Jones himself was like impossible to find. That like... Yeah. It, it kind of, apparently, Kenner... The, apparently, the the line was somewhat stillborn because they didn't like there wouldn't have been a second or third wave because no one could find Indiana Jones and therefore couldn't complete the set and therefore was not interested in buying the villains and whatnot. Right, exactly. And I think Marion was really hard to find right, as well. Yeah, right? uh, yeah, as well. So people could find like the Temple Guard and all these, you know, all right. these they can find, you know, the the the, the SS interrogator and all that, but they all couldn't the bad find guys. Yeah, but they which is awesome, but since there was not a bunch of protagonists like there was in Star Wars where like I remember collecting Star Wars figures in the in the mid nineties and you couldn't find Lando or Leia. Like those were really rare figures. But at least you could find Luke and I Han remember and that. Chewie. Yeah. And when I found Leia and I found Lando, I like flipped out and like grabbed them immediately. Like, That's you know. Was it the it was that was the Empire? The Lando and Leia? Or the No, the well Leia was the New Hope Leia in her white robes. Lando was the Empire Lando. And then they released uh, Jedi see. Lando and a bunch you know, Hoth Leia and all yeah, that Hoth Leia later, and later on. Yeah. Right, right, right. Slave Leia. Anyway, that's 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 just a And you know, I just a little aside as as we're talking about it, I watch a couple of really cool um retro collect toy collecting YouTube channels. There's a the if you guys could go look it up, it's hysterical. The Marion card back for that figure is the most in unflattering haphazardly taken photo go look at it it's hilarious you'll definitely laugh out loud it's so funny it's the worst image for a card back on any figure ever but so i had indy and i had a and it's funny i think there's a couple iterations of the indie figure i had one that had like a whip action arm and he came with a satchel i don't think his hat was removable if i'm not mistaken and he had his uh, a machete as well so I don't know. There is a rare indie figure. I don't know if I had the rare one or if I had the one that came a little later. Maybe I had the rate. Maybe I had the Temple of Doom version. But I still have it, and I still have all the weapons to it, actually. So, the, so as a as a that I could certainly mark it as a kid. Like it must have been pretty important to me because I was getting the toys, and I do remember how much Raiders, how much I loved Raiders, and that's one of the movies too, Kyle. I don't know how you feel about it. I'm of a different generation, obviously, but that's one of the movies that I consider that, in quotes, utterly rewatchable film. I think this is up there with the other films that I consider that I could, you know, everybody has their own list. Mine won't be the same as anybody else's, but I consider those films like Goodfellas. Almost Famous is one for me. I love The First Godfather, Dog Day Afternoon. So I lo- I really love like those particular films like th- and I put Ra- Raiders is like one of those movies I can never get tired of. Empire Strikes Back is certainly in there. Raiders is maybe even on the top of the list for some for some reason that very film- pretty sequel. 
What's that? I said a very Brady sequel. That's also a very, very Brady a very sequel is excellent. I, lo- I really enjoyed that <laughs> film as well. That is a funny movie. We, we've been talking about that one a lot. But so, yeah, and Raiders is just that perfectly paced, you know, it never, there's no real boring. It's just, it's, it's paced brilliantly. It's, you know, as many Spielberg films are, really brilliant set piece movie as well. Really, really a lot of fun. It surprises me that you didn't see it in the theater. I guess you were, so you were young. I mean, you were eight, nine. Were you aware of the Lucas and Spielberg connection to this? Did that even matter to you? What, like, what we know who George Lucas is today, and I'm sure adults, after he made, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars on Star Wars, realized who he was. But were you even aware of who George Lucas was? And were you aware of Spielberg's work on Jaws and 1941 and shit like that, where it was, not that you would have seen 1941, but maybe you would have seen Jaws. Because Jaws was another famous movie like Temple of Doom, particularly where people are like, why are kids allowed in this movie? Did, was that a connection to you that was relevant? Because I'm surprised as a Star Wars fan that you weren't there day one, especially because it came out the year after Empire and was kind of in production at the same time. Yeah, it was in that whole time span. It's true. Well, I think that movie was really, I think even as a kid, we realized it was very well publicized as this was brought to you by the people in broad strokes. This was brought to you by the people that brought you Star Wars. Star Wars, but I think it was less at that time Steven Spielberg, because there was already Jaws, like you said, which I had seen in ET. ET, of course. Um, you know all those films. Oh, ET's ET's a year later though, right? ET's ET might be eighty two, right? But certainly in that, you know that those Spielberg golden years, sure, as sure. you were, you know, uh, Close Encounters as well and, and poltergeist later as well poltergeist yeah, which we talked about yeah we i think that i think you know but you know what i think helped i think it was less about spielberg and more about lucas but i think like i said as as such a young kid i think in broad strokes we realized this is from the people that brought you star wars but also what helped what helped us understand that was harrison ford even though that doesn't mean anything as kids that was one of the the through lines that we had seen you know, as an adult, you realize just because an actor's in one movie doesn't mean he's in the other movie. And, of course, Harrison Ford's arc and how he became to be, you know, uh, indie is, is pretty interesting. But that was – the Harrison Ford thing can't be understated either. That was another thing that helped us to – you know, it was a coincidence, but it helped us to realize, oh, yeah, this is the, from the crew that made Star Wars, you know. And I think it had a little bit of that feel. I think even though it was inherently very Spielberg – of course, Spielberg and Lucas being so close and being such good friends and close, you know, close bedfellows and everything that they did. I think it has I think it has a very Star Wars feel to it in that adventure. Maybe it's that whole, you know, that whole being inspired by, you know, the old serials and sort of like not the camp necessarily, but sort of that formula of adventure, those those type of characters, the bravado, you know, the treasure hunter, that sort of thing. Sure, sure. Yeah. So. It is you, you. So you touched on Harrison Ford, who obviously is a massive touchstone, really important, you know, actor at this time. And it's funny reading about it. You're right that they didn't want Harrison Ford. That that I think it was Spielberg that wanted Harrison Ford, and it was Lucas that said that he didn't want to have a, a similar relationship to him that Scorsese and De Niro had, which is really an interesting thing to to look back on because I look at that as being like, well, that's a remarkable relationship. Why wouldn't you want that? Amazing. Relationship? That's a very strange, but of course we can't just look at it through the lens of star Wars and indie. We also have to look at it through the lens of American graffiti and this long lasting relationship that was there. And he was kind of like a fallback and they really could have gotten other people. Yeah. The other interesting thing about this series to me is that this movie was, this movie was turned down by lots of people. Like almost every studio didn't want it. Paramount eventually took it. That really was shocking to me until I read into why that was. And it wasn't because the movie... There's a lot out there that's like the movie was too expensive to make, which is nonsense. It was $20 million to make. That's really... That's like twice a New Hope's budget. That's really not... 
And that's less, I think, than Empire's budget. So that's not a lot of money, actually, to make the movie. It was that Lucas understood that his bread was buttered by the really beneficial deal he had with Fox to retain sequel rights, to retain toy rights, licensing rights, all those kinds of things, which was basically his starting point for Indiana Jones. And so people didn't see that there was a lot of ways to make money off of this. And so it's amazing that people pass on it. It's it, This kind of stuff happens all the time. In the Seinfeld episode, we talked about how Fox the network passed on Seinfeld. That happens, and it probably happens all, all the time, and it's probably made up for it in other places where you take risks and you don't realize that you're you're making a smart decision, and then you do. And so that's probably kind of a little bit lost to history for that reason. The connection for Indiana Jones to me is actually my friend Eric, who I grew up with. And he was a, a friend of mine that lived down the street in Brookhaven and we went to you know we met in elementary school we met in I think kindergarten he was a good friend of mine I just talked to him a few weeks ago actually so we're still in touch with each other and he was really 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 into indie and I loved that he and he was really one of the it's funny because he's really a touchstone to me with Star Wars and for indie because you were the one that got me into Star Wars in a way but he was the one that made me a hardcore Star Wars fan and it was the same thing with Indiana Jones dad actually really likes Indiana Jones and I remember watching it with him when I was a kid but it was Eric that really made me a fan of the series and they are infinitely watchable uh, Ray, I think all three of them are great for different reasons yeah and I do think I really do think Temple of Doom is the best and we'll get and we'll get into and we'll get into why that is in a moment but to catch people up on what Raiders of the Lost Ark is all about it takes place in 1936 so some 50 years for, uh, 45 years before the movie is filmed this takes place and it, it, it revolves around pre-World War II Nazism and the Nazis and the SS and the interesting thing about this is that the Nazis really were obsessed with archaeology. This is actually something that newer Wolfenstein games are kind of rooted in as well. This was a real thing. This wasn't something that was, you know, obviously it wasn't quite like this, but and they weren't looking for the Ark of the Covenant, which is obviously what they were looking for in this movie. But it's important to note that the Nazis really were in, involved heavily in the occult. They were involved heavily in archaeology. They were involved heavily in eugenics and all these weird, you know, pseudosciences to kind of help benefit them in any way they could. So there is so the the SS's pursuit in the movie of the Ark of the Covenant is somehow believable in a way. It's obviously kind of strange, but yeah. it's also believable. And obviously the Ark of the Covenant for people that aren't, you know, familiar with Christianity really has its its roots in the book of Exodus, in the Pentateuch, in the Old Testament, and it's Moses this 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 box is created with very specific instructions by God to, amongst other things, put the tablets of the Ten Commandments in. So this is like a and and you can read today about where the Ark is or where they think it is, and there's places like in Ethiopia and in Europe that claim that they have it. So and they won't show it to anyone, obviously, and stuff like that. So that's kind of a, in a broad way what the movie is about. But in another way, for me, what made it cool was that it made history and archaeology cool, and I was a really you know, I, I obviously majored in history and I have a lifelong obsession with it. And I wanted to be an archaeologist for a while until I realized that there was really no Americanist route through archaeology that was Me too. viable. Yeah. And oh, so you, you were you wanted to that also was be an also, archaeologist? Yeah, I think that was a big thing. I think Indiana Jones really put that on the map. And, you know, a lot has been written about that and said about that. He that those films, especially especially the first couple, especially Raiders, that even for supposedly even for people in that profession at that time. That was changing what the perception of an archaeologist, like a stodgy scientist that just, you know, was hunched over and out of shape and, you know, 
digging up relics and bent over with a brush. This was a, presented it in a whole more, much more dynamic light as a, you know, an adventurer, a treasure hunter, somebody who, you know, believed in, you know, preserving these relics and putting them in museums and stuff. It was, it presented it with a coolness. And yeah, when I was in sixth grade, that was the first club, stay after school club that I joined was the archaeology club. Oh, interesting. And I was in that all year. And then seventh grade was sort of the turning point. I was like, no, nah, I'm just going to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really into art again, you know. But that was my brief archaeology hiccup. What did in you do in archaeology club? You know, we, we studied about how to, we never, we did go out on digs. We went out on well, a couple of digs and it was like literally in a strip mall parking lot where they had, they had like torn down the center building. And we would go in there and, you know, there was going to be nothing, there was nothing in there. There was not going to be anything like in Indian there. arrowheads or something like that. Right. Could you imagine? But, you know, we got to dig and, you know, dig up things. And I think they taught us how to, you know, sort of approximate how old, like, this piece of stick was. And this is this type of, a lot of it was about what kind of the different, you know, it sort of got a lot into geology, which became not archaeology. But it was like, that's how they spun it, you know. So that was my sixth grade brief flirtation with, and that was all year. I think that was after school once a week, if I'm not mistaken, all year. I remember my... Science, sixth grade science teacher, the sixth grade science teacher that did it. My sixth grade science teacher was Mr. Santangelo, and he he was notable for dressing exactly like Don Johnson in Miami Vice. <laughs> no, he wore like the really expensive shoes, like the really expensive like crocodile loafers, and like the you know the the suit jacket with the neon. T- I mean, he was like he wanted to be Don Johnson, but he's a little short Italian man, balding Italian. That's, man. that's awesome, amazing. So it was a different science teacher. I didn't have that, and I remember she looked. You know, she looked very distinctive. She had that very, like, you know, she wore, like, all the big, you know, baubles and the big chain necklaces, and she was kind of hippie-ish, you know. Really, really cool. But, yeah, so I went I went, I went through that. I think a lot of a lot of kids went through it. It makes it look so one, like so exciting. It, it is. Who and could it, resist? And what's funny is that the, the stogy old man with the brush deliberately digging, that's exciting to me. So You like, like that. Like, I, I, like, that's the way archaeology really is, and it's important to do it like that. But I liked how it, in reading about it too, that that it did expose, like archaeologists say, like there was a demonstrable increase, like professors at the time and stuff say, there was a demonstrable increase in in, in trying to become archaeologists and, and at the collegiate level, interest in books that were being sold about it or just, you know, there wasn't really, there wasn't really video rental or anything like that, but just interest in documentaries about it and all that kind of stuff, which is awesome because I think Uncharted had a similar or has a similar effect on people's Look today, obviously the PlayStation franchise, which Good is heavily point. based on Indiana Jones, and obviously Amy Hennig was heavily inspired by Indiana Jones, as, as she t- you know told me when I interviewed her about it. But there's other elements to this that are important, foundational elements that we should touch on as well. You had mentioned it earlier that Harrison Ford, and and we went into it just a little bit. Harrison Ford was really not the first choice. Tom Selleck was really the first choice for this role, and he accepted it actually. And then there was a there was a problem with Magnum PI, which ended up being his big show on television for about eight years. Which was a which was a big hit in the '80s, and so he couldn't do it. There was a conflict there. Although apparently, if they thought there was going to be a conflict, and he could have gotten away with doing the film, apparently because they didn't even shoot that season of PI. CBS didn't even shoot that season until they were after principal photography of the movie, right? Right, exactly. Which is really funny how that happens. It is, and I didn't. I don't know if you saw this footage, but there is a in the last season of Magnum PI, which I think is in '89. They do a spoof on Raiders. Oh, cool. In the movie. And he it's like it's not shot for shot, but it's like a lot of like it's like a spoof. It's an obvious ode to it. That's pretty cool. And you can see Tom Selleck with the whip and like the hat and stuff like that. And oh, it's, it's really funny if you if you guys go on YouTube and look it up. 
it's really cool because you can kind of get a glimpse into what his Indiana Jones would have been like. And obviously, we wouldn't have known any better, so maybe it would have been awesome. I have no idea. But it was, it was, there must have been a little bit of a tinge of regret for him because the movie, the deal was a three movie deal from the beginning, just like with Star Wars, which apparently Lucas thought would turn Harrison Ford off, but he was down with it. And the other interesting thing about that is that Lucas told Spielberg that there was this was a trilogy from the very beginning, but lied to him about having written the other two or having the idea for the other two. Nothing was written, which is where kind of the the weirdness with Temple and with uh, Crusade. That is that is that is fun. You know what? I could see Tom. It's really strange when you get when you get something like this. And of course, Harrison, who but Harrison Ford. Right. But something like even back to the future, the whole. Michael J. Fox versus Eric Stoltz thing, and and they filmed it with Eric Stoltz for a yeah, while, right? They ran, and then they, they were actually like, ran do, with. We that. can't do this. Yeah, it wasn't working. That's really wild. You know, he he was a he's a great character actor, but I'm not sure how good Eric Stoltz is in like a nominal role. Well, you know, he did things like ma- the mask and everything like that. So, or, or just mask, not the mask. That's Jim Carrey. But I could see Tom Selleck in the role. I could see it's he he he's not he doesn't have the nuance that Harrison Ford has. Harrison Ford has this thing like he. That he's he's sort of tired. He's sort of like there's a there's like a <laughs> I don't know. There's something about it where he's like that he has that world weary vibe, you know, underneath the surface. Tom Selleck is a little more was a little especially young Tom Selleck was a little more vibrant, but you could see it. You know, that's really cool. I want to check that out because I, I want to see what he would have looked like in that role. Yeah, there's like a, even a shot where he they're like over the idol, like at the end of. You know Raiders. That's and, so neat. and it's really funny and it's like very tongue in cheek. You know? That's great. I love that. And I love that little ode because obviously he has to live with that for the rest of his life. Although I I often wonder when you hear stories like that, like do they really care? You know, like did Tom yeah. Selleck really care that right. he didn't get? And Magnum PI was huge. So like, did he really lose anything by not doing that? He didn't I don't lose know any that he money. Necessarily did. Yeah, yeah, that he was huge. He was a tremendous actor. Yeah, absolutely. So the other interesting wrinkle here is that after Star Wars was done, Spielberg and Lucas go on vacation together in Hawaii, and it's here that. Spielberg really reveals to Lucas that he wants to do a Bond movie, that he's he's really into James Bond, and there's a James Bond connection later on because one of the Bond girls is the is is uh, the, the female kind of antagonist in the last indie movie in the trilogy. But he basically says something about how he wants to do an indie or he wants to do a, a Bond movie, but kind of like stripped down and combined with the obsession that they both have with serialized pulp novels. And kind of the old school sci-fi that obviously inspired Star Wars. They wanted to go in the other adventurer direction that was very prominent in the pre-war era. Actually, in the interwar era, I really should say. Where they were manufacturing endless pulp novels, like one a week, for people to kind of consume about these these rogue adventurers all around the world. And so they had this idea that they kind of combined on. And, and Indiana Jones, interestingly from Lucas's standpoint was actually an incubation in his mind maybe even before Star Wars but he kind of abandoned it um it was called Indiana Smith originally and he right. he abandoned it because they had to focus more on Star Wars and that was kind of more the cash cow at that time so it was something they revisited and he re- revisited it at a terrible time he revisited it in between a new hope and empire and there were people that he wanted involved in obviously these films not only in in Raiders but also on Temple of Doom there was more space with Crusade where he wanted people that like they couldn't do it because they were literally working on his other movie, you know, but the one person he did get that was really important on this movie was Lawrence Kasdan and Lawrence Kasdan wrote Empire. He really rewrote the Empire Strikes Back, remembering, of course, that there was a female writer that wrote the Empire Strikes Back. And then before she could rewrite it, she actually passed away. So this was her last kind of hurrah. So he came in and kind of penned the Empire Strikes Back that we recognize today and then took the ideas that Spielberg and Lucas were spitting around with and 
made the script for Raiders or what we would know as Raiders. And the name Indiana Jones, of course, comes from George Lucas's dog, Indiana. So that's where he got the name. Although that's not really Indiana Jones's name. Indiana Jones's name is really Henry. Right. Dr. Henry Jones. So what is your takeaway from the movie as a whole? Do you feel you said that you find it highly watchable, which I agree. Very much so. Do you feel like it is quintessential Indiana Jones? Because it's often the movie. Some people, I would say, it's like eighty percent people. Eighty percent of people say it's Raiders. Ten or fifteen percent say it's Crusade, and then like less, five or less than five percent think the Temple is wow. obviously a great movie. That's an that's an interesting way to break it down. Okay. So, do you think that that this movie is you? You obviously think it's that good, but do you think that this is quintessential? And do you think that this is what they've always been chasing, even with Crystal Skull and what they'll be chasing with Episode Five? I think so. I, for me, I think so. I think I'll I'll put it to you this way. I like I really like. We haven't gotten there yet, but I really do like the Temple of Doom as well. I think it I think it brings something else to the equation. We'll talk about that more. I think if you look at Raiders and you look, Raiders is what. Now that I've seen it all, and I've seen Young Chronicles, and I've seen Crystal Skull, and I've seen now that you know now Five is in the offing, and we've seen all the content, the video games. I think I have to go back to Raiders as what that's what I want to see from Indiana Jones. There's something about the way the characters presented, the way the adventures presented. He he's a multi-dimensional character. He 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 you know there's sort of a double life that he's leading. It's very very appealing. And I think Crusade, if you take some of the things that goes on in Crusade, that gives obviously that gives India a little more dimension. You see where he came from. And you exp- you literally see his origins as a kid, but you also see and we'll, we'll get there, but you also see a relationship where a f- with that he has with a very important person in his life, and how, for good or for bad, that kind of rounds out his character and makes him who he is. So I would say Raiders with a little sprinkling of Crusade to give it a little more dimension. That's exactly that's enough for me. That's exactly what I would have seen. I think if they're making new movies, they should be aiming for that. Temple of Doom is something different. Temple of Doom is not... For me, Temple of Doom is, you know, I want you to, you know, take the reins on Temple of Doom because you love it. You really do love it. But I think Temple of Doom is something different. I think it also is another another direction to go in. And I love when they experiment and, and try something different with a character rather than staying safe and staying in a zone that they know or they think they know will be successful. But for me, it is. For me, it is. I I agree with the majority of the fans. For me, it is Raiders. For for me personally, yeah. I I don't think that's necessarily a, the wrong answer, right? I don't. I it's it's obviously purely subjective. For people that you know might not have seen the movie or it's been a while or you just want a quick recap, Indiana Jones is an archaeologist. He works at a fictional university. He's kind of like. He's super handsome. Obviously, Harrison Ford's super handsome, but he's super handsome. The girls love him, and he's yeah. but he's he's kind of got this roguish element to him, and he, and he's and he's a field archaeologist, so he's not just like a uh, he's not he he has one of his friends in the movie, which they bring back for Last Crusade. That's kind of this English archaeologist, kind of this older guy. That's more the archaeologist that you would kind of he's like kind of envious that Indiana Jones gets to go on these adventures and that more your typical archaeologist. And so Indiana Jones is both like in the classroom teaching. The kids are kind of bored. The girls just kind of love him and. And then he gets to go into the field and do these kinds of things where he's chasing these precious artifacts. And the the what I like about the movies, and it's the same reason why I loved Indiana or uh, Uncharted so much, is that they bring you on an adventure. It starts somewhere, it ends up somewhere else, it ends up where it's not supposed to be. This is most exemplified actually in Temple of Doom, but in you know the movie starts in Peru. It's about something totally different. 
because it really introduces you to kind of his foil and the the characters in it. So Dr. Bellick is the is his rival. I think he's I think he's French. Yeah, he's a rival archaeologist who's kind of working in league with the Nazis. And this kind of this is in again 1936. The Nazis don't invade France until a little later, and then Vichy France and all that kind of stuff. So you already see sort of a traitorous tendency with some of these characters. You want to read into it in a more World War glimpse of the of this man working with him, and actually tries to get Indy to work with the Nazis as well. Of yes. course, Indiana Jones is having none of that. Although in my recollection of it, it's not because they're the Nazis. It's because they want they don't want to do the right thing with the art with the artifacts. And maybe you can't fault Indiana Jones for not knowing who the Nazis exactly are. They've only been in power at that point for three years. Marion, played very ably by Karen Allen, who returns in Indiana Jones 4, is the love interest. And she's often looked at as the quintessential love interest because when you get to the when you get to Temple of Doom and you're dealing with Willie, who's more of the damsel in distress type, that and a lot of people have a problem with that in the movie. I actually like that, and we'll get into that in a second. She's there's no real love interest of any of any importance in the third movie. So so Marion really is the quintessential love interest of the quintessential kind of female in all Indiana Jones and she's really great and then there's Sala who comes back in the third movie as well played by John Reese Davies and I didn't realize that that was like his first role uh, ever Raiders he, yeah Raiders was and he's kind of like the uh, the assistant you know like the guy that's just maybe a little I mean a comic relief but kind of you know, yeah there to he's bounce an expert things off. Dig- he's like digger right he's not even an archaeologist he's right. just like a digger he's a uh, he's involved in these digs but he's not an archaeologist but a friend somebody who's already when Raiders starts there's already there's already that friendship I think so I haven't seen it actually in a while so I I don't remember I believe so yeah and then um, Tote is uh, is played awesomely by Ronald Lacey and he's the the SS officer who he's I didn't I didn't I don't they must say in the movie I was reading a little bit about him he's apparently an SS interrogator and he's chasing after this this piece that the Nazis need in order to uncover where the Ark of the Covenant is so what ends up happening is that the Nazis are keen on this guy named Dr. Ravenwood. Dr. Ravenwood is basically one of the archaeologists that taught and mentored Indiana Jones. And he they think that he has this piece to a scepter, basically, that when used will point in the direction of where the Ark of the Covenant is so they can stop digging in all the wrong places. Because as they remind themselves many times in the movies, the Nazis are digging in the wrong place. They don't know that, you know, because they're too fucking stupid to realize it. And it's for the staff of Ron, all these kinds of things. So what ends up happening is that Ravenwood's dead, but no one really knows that yet. And in order to find Ravenwood, Indy ends up going to Nepal in, you know, Southeast Asia, really more like Central Asia, in order to find his daughter, Marion, who they used to date. And she actually has it. She actually has the piece that they need. And the Nazis basically follow Indy there. And, and actually, they... I think they actually beat him there. There's like this whole fight sequence. There's a, you know, he stops them from with his whip. You see him use the whip for the first time, grabs the guy's hand. And then Tote is, there's like a fire in the, in the, in the bar that Marion works on and and so on and so forth. And so they're kind of by force brought together because she's loose. She loses her business and, and all this. And, but she's kind of intrigued by her old love interest, her old flame kind of coming into, into, into it. And so they go end up end up in like kind of the Middle East and in Egypt and stuff like that ultimately in the in the, the movie. So that's kind of the story. And then they pursue it and and ultimately the the Ark of the Covenant destroys the Nazis that end up finding it. And Indiana Jones is very clear, like just don't don't look at it. Don't uh 
don't get involved in 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 what's obviously consuming these guys and and and, and their lust for power because the Nazis are interested in the Ark of the Covenant because they assume that it will give them like unrivaled supernatural powers. So that's basically the movie, and and it's a great standalone movie. Unlike Star Wars, unlike the other trilogy that these two men, and specifically Lucas, is known for. I mean, Spielberg's not really known for it, but what Lucas is known for is these are standalone films that don't really require knowledge of each other in order to enjoy them. So, yeah, 1981, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Three years later, we get Temple of Doom. And and reading about this movie, Dagan, is interesting to me because it was widely acknowledged by the creators of the film before it came out, widely acknowledged by critics at the time who kind of, you know, people often talk about how it was panned and stuff, but it actually really wasn't. It has like an 85 on Rotten Tomatoes. It's hardly a panned movie. No. But it was not Raiders of the Lost Ark popular. It didn't make the money that Raiders of the Lost Ark made. It also cost more money, and there was a lot of problems with the production, and and, in the, and Harrison Ford, by the way, is not even in a bunch of it, and True. and stuff like that. His his That's right. And we'll get into that. His kind of stunt double, Vic Armstrong, kind of stands in for him because he's injured. So there's a lot of interesting stuff with this movie, but what are your memories of the Temple of Doom? Do you remember seeing that in the theater? Yeah, that we we were so excited to see that, and I went to see that as I remember. I went to see that with a group of my friends. I don't know if mom and dad took us or my friend Matt's parents took us, but the, like the group of three or four of us went. Maybe even more because our little siblings might have been along as well. So it could have been even like six or seven of us. We went to see that. It was like an event. We were already fans of Raiders. And like I said, I think I could have came into Raiders late, but this was the first, this was probably the first thing besides Star Wars where we were anticipating the sequel of something and we were so excited about it. And when it came out, we saw it, you know, I don't think it was like opening night, but I remember specifically going, we had to drive a little bit. It was, it was reasonably far away. We might've even seen it in Comac, which is like the middle of the island of Long Island. And we saw it at night. And I remember we were in like an SUV or a van, like we were, so I, cause I can't remember exactly who took us, but it was a bunch of us. And we went to see it, and I absolutely loved it. You know, now we'll get into it. In retrospect, I could see this might be the first thing of our gen, when I say our, the people that I was seeing it with at the time, of that generation, you know, us generation Xers, where this, we were anticipating the second thing. And adults at that time, too. I think this is what threw the curveball. I think this is what threw the curve in. They saw everybody loved Raiders. When the second thing came out, it was different. It was much different, and I think that's what threw people for a loop. It was that it was the first time we had seen. It was the first time that I could remember seeing something like that, and but I loved it. It is the to to go over to go over it in very broad strokes to begin with. It's a very classic set piece movie. I think it's a very good movie. I would probably put it. In, it's definitely in my top fifty movies of all time for sure, and. Again, very rewatchable, a lot of fun. People do say it's presented as dark. The subject matter is dark. We'll get into what what exactly is going on and sort of the quest in this movie. It's a little more, I think you could say, while being dark, in ways it's a little more campy than Raiders as well. In ways, in, way, in a certain way. But it's the classic set piece movie, you know. Spoiler alert, but it starts with the really cool nightclub scene you know, which is like a really cool battle ensues. Then you have the plane crash with the raft and the whole river bit. Then you have the palace feast, which is, we'll get into, of course. And then you have sort of some things that play, you know, they're, you know, um, 
a giant ritual with a pit of fire and brilliant, really, really memorable set pieces. And then, of course, the end in the, you know, the underground mines, the coal mines or the jewel mines or whatever that is with the, you know, the um, coal mine car chasing. It's a very typical Spielberg, not typical, but very Spielbergian set piece movie and very well paced, very cleverly paced, very entertaining, very popcorn, very much a popcorn movie, you know, and... I really, I'm a fan. It's a little, it's a little less, I guess in ways you could say, I don't know if you would agree, Kyle, I'm going to kick it over to you. Like, it's a little less cerebral, I would say. It's a little less, you know, in Raiders, here you have this archaeology, you know, this, this kind of duology going, there's this archaeologist, he's also a treasure hunter and adventurer. While there's sort of a bravery and he has a philosophy, and he's very serious about it. There's also, he has that knowledge. Like, for instance, you brought up at the end of Raiders where he knows, he's, he's schooled enough and educated enough in what he does to know, like, when, this, when these things emerge from this arc, don't look at it. Hide your eyes. He, you know, he's not only, he's not only clever and an adventurer and physical, but he's also, he's also intelligent. Raiders presents, I think Raiders... Uh, Temple rather presents the character in another light which in a way you could argue opens up the character too and also very important to realize Temple is a prequel which I had forgotten yep it, it takes place before Raider I yeah. had actually forgot it's, it's a, does it take place a year before yeah 1935 which is really cool because it's actually very close in proximity and I like I really love the fact that it's a prequel and I had forgotten that so okay let me kick it over to you and I'll, let me see what you say about that yeah but, I, I so what I think is interesting about it is that it is an incidental journey. It shows that Indiana Jones isn't deliberately getting involved in any of this at all. In fact, he's doing something totally different in the beginning of the movie. That's what I love about it. So if you if you well, that's one thing I love about it because I love the dark tone of it. I, I think that there's a the all what isn't dark about Raiders and what isn't dark about The Last Crusade. That that was always my question. I'm like these are very dark movies just because there's some lightness to it. There are jokes in this too. One of the famous scenes when when Short Round is accusing Indy of cheating in the card game was totally improvised. Right, like there's was that improvised? Yeah, there's a lot, or like when the when the when he's fighting the guy with the mallet and the guy throws the mallet behind him and it like hits one of his guards in the head. There's like there's Spielbergian very much moments so. in that. Like there, I so there's humor in, in in Temple, and there are there's serious moments in in the Last Crusade. He like mows, he murders like dozens of people in in, in the Last that Crusade. That probably it's, has the most. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I know exactly. Yeah, he great, takes a machine point. gun and mo- murders like seven people in like two seconds in the movie. Great point. So it's just I, not. It's just not gory, right? Exactly, and necessarily. But, but like to your point, because we didn't really get into it, is that the end of Raiders is super gory, and it was too gory, and they were going to get an R rating. It was, and and so disturbing. the way I didn't realize that the way they avoided it, I was like, what did they have to reshoot and stuff? They didn't reshoot anything. They put the flames in front of the faces as they were exploding to to minimize the gore. And this was something that, as I think we said in the previous episode, whether it was this season or last season of Knockback, we said something along the lines of, well you know, PG-13 came as a result of this and Red Dawn was the first one that got the PG-13 rating. What I didn't realize was that Spielberg was the one that went to them and said, like, we need a new rating. It wasn't oh, wow. it wasn't the MPAA going to them and being like, we got we can't do this anymore because Spielberg had already experienced this apparently with Jaws, which shouldn't have been seen by children either and I don't think was given an R rating. So so he was like, all right, enough already. Like, we, we this should have just been a PG-13 movie and then we wouldn't have had to even edit anything at all. It's so funny, isn't it? But like, temp- it is funny. And it's- with Jaws, like, the, 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 they were really of the mind of, like, well, it doesn't matter that this is hideous and kids are dying. It's happening off screen. Like, that was really the philosophy. Well, you don't see it, you know, but it's still just as disturb- sometimes more disturbing, you know. 
It's funny. But there's a so so to give people a little bit of background, Dagan, you know all this already. Okay. The first interesting thing that I didn't realize is that Lawrence Kasdan wanted nothing to do with this movie. So they try huh. they tried to get Lawrence Kasdan. They gave him the general idea, and he's like, absolutely not. So so that was like the first sign. Like Lawrence Kasdan, who made his you know he, at this time too, he was busy with the Big Chill, which ended up being really except for Empire, his biggest movie. But he wrote Empire, wrote. Raiders and then was given this opportunity to write the sequel to like one of the biggest movies he ever wrote because he also wrote Jedi I think so yeah so, so but he's like nah I'm good he had like the balls and the confidence to be like I don't want anything to good do with this him, and right? openly talked about it and openly talks about it later on too being like this movie I think he called it mean-spirited that okay. was like that was I think the quote that I was like mean-spirited interesting I don't see that but I don't I, see that at all but okay Lawrence Kasdan the other thing that's interesting about it is that the movie's darkness is apparently ref- is apparently a reflection, some say, and Lucas says of his darkness that he was going through in his life because he was being divorced due to his rampant workaholism by his first wife, who they married, I think, in the late 60s. So they were together for a while at that point. And it's funny because Lucas points at Spielberg and says Spielberg was on board with this because he had just broken up with his girlfriend in three years, too. But when you read Spielberg's feedback on it, he's like, I was fine. He, in fact, I think what one of the quotes I read of the contemporaneous quotes at the time was saying he was saying something like, "I just made ET. I was great." So like, don't blame me for this shit. But there's a lot of this shows, and I hate to say this, we were talking a little bit about it before we started recording though. Spielberg's a bit of a douchebag because George Lucas gets beaten up a lot, and we were talking specifically about like the almost it was almost like a national holiday when he sold Star Wars to Disney, right? Of course, there's a little bit of a tinge of regret, at least for me there now, where I kind of wish Lucas didn't do that. But I wanted it at the time too. I like probably got drunk that night and passed out. Well, it would have been nice to see him. It would have been nice to see him have an opportunity to save all the damage he did himself. Right, exactly. Right. Okay, sorry. No, it's okay. So with Spielberg, he just seems over and over again when you read interviews with him, not only in regard to his relationship with Lucas, and they have a deep and long lasting, decades long friendship. You can only imagine how he treats people he doesn't like because he he goes into this and says, like, he disavows the movie. He disavows the movie from the very beginning, basically. Yeah, he really does. And and he you see this later on with with Crystal Skull in the 2000s, too. He gave a quote along. I think it's on the Blu-ray where he says something along the lines of, like, even if I don't like what George Lucas is doing, I'll make the movie for him anyway. Something like that. I'm like, what a fucking douchebag. As if as if you didn't have anything to do with that swinging monkey scene. As if you didn't have anything to do. We were making fun of the this, this scene in The Last Crusade where they're, you know, him and the, and the SS archaeologist, the female SS archaeologist, played by Allison Duty, says something about rats. And it's like such a Spielbergian thing because it, it, cause Indy says... Oh, he wouldn't have, you know, talking about his dad saying like he wouldn't have made it through the rats. And then he goes on this like he like has to pad it with like four oh more Spielbergian lines that explain everything. Oh, it's like, so funny. Go watch it, guys. He's like, you know, my dad would have never got through the rats. And it should have just been he that. hates rats. Right. He's really afraid. You don't understand. Like, it's like what you could have just said he wouldn't have got past the rats. We get it. Yeah, we can. Fi- we you can, know, we can figure it out. Oh, my God. So I don't like the way that Spielberg kind of, you know, there are things that have happened in my professional life where that. I had no response. You know, a, a really good example is when I was at IGN in 2012, I made a video about Mass Effect 3's ending, which is probably my most notorious moment in my entire career, where I basically ripped apart the people that were ripping apart the ending and asking for it to be changed and stuff like that. I filmed a really thoughtful, you know, a really thoughtful video about that, that I thought in its reflection would have been much better taken, but it was cut down into like a minute and a half and like this kind of snazzy kind of thing, Right. And I never blamed the person that did that because I screened it and I said, fine, 
and I didn't have a problem with it until after it went out and after everyone reacted to it. And Spielberg, if people didn't get if it didn't get bad and mixed reviews from some people in New York Times and all that kind of stuff, then Spielberg would have had a very different tune. It comes off as super disingenuous. It makes me disrespect the man. You know, because no matter how much George Lucas has been beaten up, I've never heard him take out his anger on anyone else. And I know he doesn't have a lot to be angry about. He's a billionaire. Right. But I never I always respected that Spielberg or that that George Lucas rather never like went off the deep end. In any I and I've seen a plenty of interviews with him where he could easily especially with the prequels and stuff like that where everyone hates them and I never really saw you saw a little bit of bitterness and regret after he sold them to Disney yeah he gave a 60 minutes interview I think where you can kind of see it it's almost sad to watch actually because he's it's almost like yeah I have a few billion dollars now I already had a few billion dollars and now I don't have like my masterpiece anymore I have no control over it they don't want my ideas and that kind of stuff but it was never that was about the most bitter I ever saw yeah there was yeah with Spielberg he's bitter about two of the four movies you know, and Which, yet he just keeps doing it. And this is a guy that doesn't hasn't hasn't hit a home run every time. I mentioned oh, 1941 no. before, which was a disaster. He went way sure. over budget. He lost his whole cachet, and it was only his relationship with George Lucas that even got him his cachet back. So I just felt from that personal perspective, I'm like, this is bullshit. You know, like I, I don't I don't I don't like the way he was treated there. But the reflection apparently is in all again in all of this in all of this darkness. The the movie was originally called Temple of Death. And it was originally, even before that, going to be take take place in Scotland, and it was going to be about a haunted mansion and all this kind of stuff. And Spielberg kind of vetoed that because he had just did Poltergeist, and he didn't want to do like another movie about a haunted, haunted space or whatever. The movie introduces a few interesting characters. Kate Upshaw, who ends up marrying Steven Spielberg, so maybe he should shut the fuck up, since if he didn't do the movie, he would have never met her. He replaces Marion as Willie Scott, who is the female kind of lead in the movie. Also introduced is Kei Hui Kwan, who plays Short Round, who's who's actually more, even more famous for his role the next year in The Goonies and actually went into like kind of more behind-the-camera shit afterwards. Um, and, and reading a lot of the oral histories that he gave about Temple of Doom, he was so happy to be there. It was like so funny to read about it. So neat. So you remember it being dark and stuff like that, but you remember, you remember, you remember liking it. Do you remember, Loved it. Do you remember others reflecting the theme in a different way, saying like... I wanted a more pulpy, lighthearted adventure, but I got something else. Or did Not everyone walk out of the theater liking it? Every all me and my friends, we were some of them were my age in school, some of them were a year younger. And I don't know if my our sister Dana was a year younger. She's a year younger than us as well as than me. I don't know if she and her friends were with us as well. Could have very well been. I'll ask Dana about that. But certainly, you know, let's say I was. Well, how old was I? I was ten at the time. So there could have been, it was nine and 10 year olds going to see it. We loved it. We absolutely loved it. I think what happens, I think really a big part of Temple, and I wonder about this, is now that you hear all this and you hear Spielberg sort of disavowing the movie because of the violence and the gore and how it affected their approach so strongly to Last Crusade and stuff. I wonder if you take out the child slavery element. How, how dark people would say it was. Because that, of course, child labor is a very dire and disturbing thing to put into a film. It's a very, it's a, you know, it's a thing that exists then and even today. And it's a very disturbing thing. And any, any, any violence against children is a disturbing thing in a movie. I wonder if you take that out, how dark and dire people would say it was. You know, I think also with this movie that I, something that I like about it, there's a more, in the, in, in Raiders, and certainly also in The Last Crusade, they're fighting the Nazi party, you know, which is like, 
we all know what that is, even as kids. This is the most historically evil group of people to ever live. But it's sort of a faceless... Of course, you have Tote, and you have his arch-rival, Rene Belloc. But it's sort of a faceless mass. It's an, enti- it's an entity. It's this thing that sort of like comes in the form of an... an you know, a ha- 20 soldiers. Now in the next scene, it's coming in the form of a tank. Now in the next scene, it's coming as the Luftwaffe and it's coming as airplanes. It's, it's not one single thing that you're fighting. In this, it's a, th- it's, a th- it's a cult, but it's a thuggy priest. So there's actually a more tangible bad guy in this too, which I think you could, seeing Indy, you know, fighting that is also another interesting thing that we haven't seen before. I like that. The evil has a fate, like a single face now, you know. I think that's another element. We loved it as kids. You know, as I said, I think of it as the ultimate, probably the ultimate popcorn movie of the Indiana Jones movies because of the set pieces and because of the scale, very big scale, the sense of fun and the side characters. You know, certainly I would, you know, I would have liked to seen, I love the character and I love the actor as Data and Goonies especially, but I love Short Round. I like the dynamic of, of Indy having a sort of helper. You know, it would have been kind of cool. I think it would really would have been kind of cool to see Short Round developed more as a protege to Indy. You know, he's a he's a little Chinese. He's 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 Chinese, I know, in real life. Is he supposed to be Chinese as well in the Yeah, films? I think so, because the, the... Because they're in Shanghai. Yeah, exactly. So, it would have been really interesting. I like the dynamic of an 11-year-old kid. I like the dynamic of somebody of a different culture, of, of a Chinese kid. I think it would have been cool to see Short Round more groomed Less, maybe still comic relief, but more as like a protege for Indy, you know, which that that whole thing is explored and comes later and it comes and they don't do a good job with it. But we just to answer your question, we love the movie. It really put and as far as I remember, it really put Indiana Jones on the map as far as merchandising, branding products. You know, there's a another character in the film we'll talk more about. There's another character in the film who initially and maybe is sort of a bad guy that has a turn a turn of heart. It turns out not to be a bad guy, but there's like a kid who's presented as like a bad guy as well in the movie, which was really interesting and cool to us. So you know, somebody creepy. to hate. Yeah. Creepy, creepy character. Yeah, and absolutely. powerful. Absolutely. All these adults are, you know, bowing to his every whim and everything like that. He's a prince. He's a prince, right? Yes. So there's a lot about the movie, I think, to celebrate. It's it's so weird. And you know what? Just to talk a little bit more about, um, I want to kick it back to you because I know how much you love this movie, but just to talk a little bit about Spielberg, because I'm a little bit of a Spielberg historian, and I really, I've seen and read a lot of things about Steven Spielberg, probably more than anybody except with the, maybe the exception of Walt Disney, Akira Kurosawa, some of the other, Martin Scorsese, but he's one of the guys who I've studied the most. And I love Steven's, I love early Steven Spielberg because he really was a maverick and an innovator. You know, he really was a trailblazer. If you read about his inauspicious beginnings, I mean, this guy kicked the door down. You know, like, it almost gives me goosebumps how he broke into the industry and how he was so, you know, he had so much tenacity. And even in his early films, going over budget and sticking to his guns and telling the producers to go fuck themselves, like, he he, he was a guy that really could get your blood boiling and pump, pump you up for just being a, a visionary and sticking to his creative guns and pr- producing content that was so memorable, you know, whether it was Jaws or his other earlier films, you know, I love Duel. I love a lot of his stuff that comes, you know, that comes in the form of like very, you could see, you could see Spielberg in the making. This was Spielberg, you know, he was coming out. 
And but when he started to get big, and I don't mean to cast aspersions, he's obviously a genius. I, I think he is. Well, but I mean that's obvious, yes. You know, clear. But he has a history, if you really go in and look, he has a history of sort of kowtowing and listening a little too much to critics. And that's a shame because that only spoils your vision. And now you have this legacy of being somebody who is comes from a history of being the complete opposite thing and almost being told like, oh, you should feel this way. And he sort of, it sort of gets in, that bug gets in his ear a little too deep and he sort of starts to bend to that whim, which is not his original vision, you know? And it shows a spinelessness. I don't mean to sound harsh, but it shows a spinelessness that is really leaves a bad taste in my mouth, you know, especially when you have that much power. And make no mistake about it, in 1982, when they started developing this movie or shooting this movie or whatever, he had a lot of power already, this man, you know. He wasn't the Steven Spielberg of today. That happened over time. But he was a very powerful filmmaker and considered very important in Hollywood already. You know, he was box office gold. And seeing that, him sort of disavow what the movie was, instead of just saying, well, we did it this way, now... Now that we did it this way, we left it out there for people to judge and history will judge it. Now let's go do another thing. That's how you that's how you proceed in a in an elegant fashion, not sort of like throwing it under the bus and throwing somebody else who's supposed to be one of your closest friends under the bus. You know what I mean? It's it's not the right way to do things. Yeah, I, I absolutely you know, agree. and I you leave agree. the all, and it leaves every the crew, the cast, everybody. It's it calls the whole thing into question. When if you look at the movie, it should be celebrated. It's a really wonderful film. You know, and so. it re- it's funny because when you when you, you know, Christopher Biesinger, one of our, our listeners. So if you if you support Collins Last Stand at Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand at the two dollar level or higher every month, you get early access. We basically tip our hat to you when we're ready to record another batch of these. We tell you what the topics are. You submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, memories, etc. And then we read them here on the show. So Christopher Biesinger says, Indiana Jones, why doesn't Temple of Doom get the recognition it deserves? And I, I like this I like this because he says it deserves. And it does deserve it. And when you read oral histories and you read kind of the the contemporary words in, in interviews and and kind of reflections just a few years after, even before Crusade, he's really the only one that worked on the movie that says that. Well, obviously Lawrence Kazin's not involved in it because he doesn't want to be. But other than that and other than Spielberg, everyone else has nice things to say about it. Harrison Ford likes it, and Harrison Ford's certainly not shy of telling people how he feels about certain things. You know, Harrison Ford has nothing to say bad to say about it. George Lucas obviously likes it, and it, and 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 with what really made me most sad about it, I think, was again reading the stuff with that was specifically said by Short Round in 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 the, in the times later, where he was basically speaking about, well, it was such a formidable experience for me. I learned so much. Like everyone was so nice to me, and we have all these great memories, except for Steven Spielberg, who hates everything. You know, and <laughs> it's just it just comes off as a little weird to me. You know, Kate Upshaw was giving an interview where she was basically saying, like, we're the forgotten movie, like, but it's not really fair. And and she was really so. So before I get into her, let me just tell people a little bit, a little bit about what the movie's about so that they have an understanding of it, because what I really love about it is that it, it 20 minutes into the movie, it just totally changes directions. Right. We don't really know exactly what Indiana Jones is doing at the beginning. We kind of have an idea he's there for a reason, but. The club scene in the beginning is my favorite scene in any of the Indiana Jones movies. And one of the most iconic scenes in my mind in any movie I like. Because it's totally different than Indiana Jones was presented in Raiders for one second. And not only the character, but the the, the cleanliness of the scene. It's an upscale... 
exclusive rich person club. Yeah. Indiana Jones is wearing a tuxedo. He walks in. He's wearing a tuxedo. These waiters come out and put the the napkin on his lap for him and stuff like that. He's talking to some like Chinese gangster. Beautiful woman's like dancing as, as the credits are going on or whatever. It's a totally awesome introduction. And then a, to, you know melee breaks out, right? Yeah. And suddenly they find themselves with this young Chinese kid who's who's actually I think he might be Vietnamese in real life. I'm not sure based on his name. Okay. But he is, you know, their driver and they kind of take a plane to like get away from this action that's going on. And they, and then it fi- they find out that, or they don't find out, they find out the hard way that the plane is actually owned by the gangster and they, they like parachute out or something and they find themselves <laughs> on this, this snowy bank and they, and they accidentally find themselves in, in, a, in a fictional Indian town where Indiana Jones is thrust into a situation he didn't ask for. So unlike Raiders where he's deliberately going to places, there's a, literally a scene with him packing his suitcase in Raiders. You know, ready to go to the other side of the world to start chasing after the Ark. In this, he has no time to prepare because he had no t- and he had no idea he was going to find himself in this situation. And he, what he finds is this in, this town in India, that this village in India that's destitute and is suffering because of some nearby powerful entity that not only stole these stones from them that are apparently keeping them safe, but are enslaving their children to find the missing stones. Exactly. There are five stones. In, I think they're called the Sakara Stones. There are five of them in the war in the in, in the movie. I don't know if it's a war, also an Indian kind of religion. I'm not sure about that. No, but they have three of them, and to find the other two, they're basically enslaving nearby children from these villages to mine these mountains to find the other stones. So yeah, it's super dark. But Indiana Jones didn't ask for it. It's not like this is like this was the next grand adventure that he was going to go on, where he's going to go. Yeah, let's go to the destitute Indian village. And fight the dude that takes rips people's hearts out of their chests. Like this wasn't. That's what's so cool about it. Yeah. It's it's incidental. Indiana Jones completely yeah, incidental. It's cool that it's a prequel. That's cool too. But it, that's not even important. It, and, and in fact, I have no idea why they made it a prequel. It doesn't really mean anything that it's a prequel at all. It's it, that that to me is was a little weird. I don't. Maybe I missed something there. The only thing I could think of is if they were developing the love interests. You know, and you know, you could only really realize this in retrospect once the first three movies completely dropped, that it would go, Marion, Willie, Marion. But maybe that's why, because they want to, they didn't want to establish India as a womanizer, but they kind of do establish him as a womanizer anyway. So maybe that's, maybe that's not. Well, they they established that in the Last Crusade one. Both he and his dad sleep with the same woman. (laughs) That's true. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll get. Well, don't worry. Don't worry about that. (laughs) We'll, We'll certainly, we'll certainly get there. But. So it's all about you know so so you brought up the you brought up the antagonist the antagonist is a guy named Molaram in 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 the movie who's this kind of like high priest he's like this creepy high priest he's played by a very famous he's deceased now but a very famous Indian actor named Amrish Puri and apparently in reading about it like they had a really hard time getting him he was so popular in in Indian cinema that he was like they had a film in bursts with him like they couldn't get him wow. like they couldn't get him for like weeks or months at a time. Interesting. He is there, great. There was something about how he literally was like flying in between India and London like every week. Wow. Because he, you know, because of the nature of his, really his contractual kind of, yeah. Huh. And the other interesting kind of production note here is that it, it takes place in India but was not even allowed to be filmed in India. The Indian government was super offended by the script. So the, instead of bending to their will, which I think was the right decision on the part of the filmmakers, they just filmed it in Sri Lanka instead. Right. So that was easy and Sri Lanka got all their money instead. And I guess the other production note that is worth noting is that, and we mentioned it earlier, is that Vic Armstrong, who was like the very capable stunt lead for all three Indiana Jones movies, was basically standing in for Harrison Ford for weeks at a time 
and like the the major fight scene in it is mostly him. Wow. And all, a bunch of other stuff because in an elephant riding incident, apparently Har- Harrison Ford like busted his back. Oh, I didn't know about this. And had to like go back to the states. For, oh wow. For a while. So instead of they did shut down like certain production, obviously they can't do things with an, an extra. But there's a lot of apparently a lot of scenes that are not Harrison Ford wow. in the movie, especially with him in the back or the side or whatever. That's interesting. Like a pretty interesting. I wonder. Dialogue. I hope that. I hope that guy is a Vic. I hope the stuntman made out. Yeah, well, he must have just been by the right? laws of or the rules of like the union unions. Yeah, sure. So the movie is written actually by Willard Hook and Gloria Katz, who wrote American Graffiti. So. George Lucas goes back into the well to bring these guys forward because Lawrence Kazan, again, wants nothing to do with it. And the movie focuses a great deal on voodoo and black magic, which is one of the things that the Indian government was kind of kind of wary of, which is interesting. And there's just an unrelenting, unexpected danger to the movie and a darkness because, as you said, it is about child slavery. It is about human sacrifice. They show human sacrifices. And it is about this high priest played by this famous Indian actor, again, who's ripping hearts out of chests, which I thought was so cool. He like prays as he's doing it and like sticks his hand in their chest and like pulls it out. We love it. But they stay alive. It's fucking cool. It's pretty pretty gruesome, but it's so cool as a kid. You you're into it. In hindsight, the Nazi thing is tired. And there are certain ways Spielberg visits the Nazi shit a couple more times, right? Like in later movies, Schindler's sure, List. Sure, a like lot that. of times. And and same with Brian. Same Ryan. Ryan. So they are a great foil. But they don't have to be the foil in everything. And they go back to that well again in The Last Crusade, which is so tired to me and so stupid. You know, like Indiana Jones can't deal with anything else. And I liked that they did this. This It's this kind of side path. And when you realize that the movie's a prequel, you realize that they dealt with the Nazis twice in a row in, in, in terms of the movie's sequence, which I'm like, it's kind of, kind of disappointing Yeah, me a and don't bit. forget, these were inspired by serialized adventure stories of a, of a bygone era. And that's what these things did. They went on adventures that... the, the they were they were colored very differently from adventure to adventure. That was the point, you know. It was like a world tra- traveler. These these there's all sorts of villains. There's all sorts of situations. There's all sorts of perils. There's all sorts of criminals. You know. There's all sorts of ways to deal with these people. There's all sorts of allies. It was to paint. It was to make it interesting, you know. And that's what they were doing, you know. Absolutely. So. And they, and I think they did a nice job. Remember that the movie we almost got was a movie that took place in China about dinosaurs. That was origin the original idea about a, a sequel and that's true. So you can go you can go read about that. Yeah, like there that. was a there was this vision of of Indiana Jones riding a motorcycle on the Great Wall of China and like a secret stash of dinosaurs and it's yeah, that's real. That's a, that's a true story. Wow. So be thankful that this is the movie you got cuz we would, might not have even gotten the third wow. Indiana Jones movie Holy at all. Cow. Which helped helped it. Now, the big thing, specifically with the Thuggy Cult, by the way, that's where the word Thug comes from, not from Indiana Jones, but the Thuggy Cult in Indian lore, and there they were that was a real cult where like robbers and and murderers and stuff like that. The word Thug comes from that when you call something Thug or Thuggish. But the big problems that people have with this movie are twofold. Not only well, the, the darkness obviously element that it's not pulping enough is one of them. But the big problems otherwise is that some people think the movie's racist. And we, we can get into that. We can get into that. And some people think that, you know, Willie's character being so different from Marion comes across as like a bumbling, screaming idiot who yeah. has no. But that's who she is, because you have to remember that she didn't ask for this either. Now, Marion didn't ask for it either. But remember, Marion is running a pub in Nepal by herself. So she's a little bit of an adventurer and a little bit of a kind of a kindred spirit with Indy in that way, which is why they love each other. And she's also attached by blood because she's Indy's mentor's daughter. Right. We left that out. That's true. That's so, so Ravenwood's, uh, the, the deceased 
archaeologist, kind of the mentor in the original one, that's her daughter, so or his daughter. So, yes, that's a good point as well. So there's like that connection there. Right. So some people think the movie's racist, and we'll get into why that is in a minute. And that was even a complaint at the time, by the way. That's not a new political correctness complaint, because obviously, otherwise I wouldn't even give it any credence at all. And we can we can focus on that problem because it's it's well let's focus on that problem first before we get into anything else. Sure. Do you think it's racist? The big you mentioned no. the banquet scene banquet scene earlier, and the banquet scene that some people is considered highly racist and com- was even at the time. Really? Yes. I never even that never even was an inkling. I never had an inkling of that. No, I consider it completely not racist. It's a movie. It's it's not what is who's who is it racist against? They were saying that like it presents Indians and Indian cuisine at like they're eating monkey oh. brains and eyeball soup and all this kind of stuff. But the you know the the fat Indian dude gets excited when they bring like the boa. I remember and stuff that. Like that. But that was not really the intention. And knowing who made it, that you know, especially with the progressive, the progressive nature of George Lucas in Star Wars, with obviously introducing a female gun wielding protagonist who is basically the leader of the rebellion. And then Lando, obviously, in Empire. Absolutely. It's just, no. It doesn't, would, I don't think that was the intention. No, I don't think so. That doesn't strike me that way. First of all, Indian food is delicious. Who doesn't love Indian food? Indian food is one of the most celebrated cuisines on the planet, isn't it? It is, but what they're saying is that that's not Indian food. Like It, it made it seem like Indians were eating monkey brains and eyeball soup. That's not what they eat. That's so Chris. So, I never got that. So that was, that was one... That was A. Yeah, that was one specific complaint. And I, and I, I find that complaint a little shallow you know the other complaint is about willie's character yes and how she's a damsel in distress type character she is a damsel in distress type character she was a singer in a lounge who found herself in a split second involved in this shit and she wants nothing to do with it what do you want her to be you want her to suddenly be she's wearing this beautiful sequin dress dancing and singing in a club and then literally minutes later is in a plane flying to Nepal or to Sri Lanka rather or to India really in the movie and you suddenly want her to just be Marion who has like obviously an archaeologist and adventurer father is in Nepal running a pub clearly kind of a rogue in her own way it's it's ridiculous that that complaint is ridiculous and I don't think it's fair I don't think that's a fair complaint well did you it's Kate Kate Capshaw right yes is she still she's still married to Steven Spielberg yes okay they have seven children together I think one from one from her ma- original marriage, one from his original marriage, and then I think they have three blood children and two adopted children. They got their own little cult over there. Right, exactly. Um, well, let me ask you this, Kyle. Did her, and you might be getting to this, but did her sc- constant, unceasing screaming annoy you in the movie? No, it didn't because that... That's the cat. That, that annoys people. Like, that annoyed people in round, and, and short round kind of annoyed people too. I can't see that. I, I I don't I don't either. But I I've, I've heard that for a long time. There are people that don't like him, and that's fine. Right. Because there is no real analog to him in Raiders or in Crusade. He's kind of like a. There. He's kind of like. I thought it humanized Indy a little bit because he has like this young child that he cares about. Sure. Now, yeah. That again is kind of thrust upon. I see him. another dimension. Yeah. But no, the, yeah. A lot of people bring up her screaming and kind of complaining all the time. But she's a fucking lounge singer. She doesn't want anything to do with it. Right, right, right. What do you it makes want sense. Her to do? Maybe, maybe they did it too much, but like I wouldn't expect that she's gonna like pick up a gun and shoot someone or be like the person that saves the day. <laughs> I think that's like a little insane. I like that point. I think it's a great point. So that's kind of that's kind of you know Temple of Doom, and we got another question here okay. from Tyler Mitchell, who says, "I love the trilogy and rank it right up there with Star Wars. In fact, Raiders ranks higher than Jedi for me. That's interesting. Mm. It's." In an elite group of movies that, in my opinion, are always watchable, there's no bad time to watch Raiders. 
which movies do you feel similarly about? Hmm. You were talking about Raiders early. I earlier I feel about the same way about Temple of Doom. I think that you know you brought it up, but the the, the original Star Wars trilogy is one of those movies for me. Sure, or three of those movies for me, along with you know Caddyshack, Red Dawn, kind of this you know Big Lebowski, kind of the classics. Big Lebowski is a great one. Do you have any movies like that that are infinitely watchable to you, like like Tyler and Raiders? Yeah, I've, absolutely. I have I have a pretty long list of them, and I'm gonna forget. I'm gonna kick myself because I'm gonna forget to name some. But I, I already mentioned some that I really love. Um, you're talking about just any movie in general. Yes. Yeah. Goodfellas, The First Godfather. I I mentioned Almost Famous, which maybe isn't such a popular one, but I love that movie so much. I really love Dog Day Afternoon. I don't know if you've ever seen that, Carl. It's an earlier Pacino movie about he's a he's a bank he's like a bumbling. There's a lot more to it, but he's a bumbling bank robber in New York City. And do you want a, a masterclass in acting? That movie is ridiculous. It's so good. Hoo-ah! Oh, send, send the woman's not bad. That's not a bad one either. Um, Lupin the Third Castle of Cagliostro. I know I talked about that with some listeners, on, especially on, on Twitter. There's a bunch. Empire, Empire Strikes Back is definitely one. I feel that way about Return. I don't feel necessarily, to be honest, about Star Wars and New Hope. I don't quite put it the first star wars in that category even though it's wonderful and it's definitely in my top 50 movies but return of the jedi is certainly in there i find that movie very enjoyable ultimately infinitely enjoyable um i'm gonna forget that i know i'm gonna kick myself because i'm gonna forget to name some but if i think about more of them I'll, I'll i'll list them off all right let's move on to the last crusade now the last crusade is the third indiana jones movie that came out in 1989 and it takes place in 1938. So, again, for the sequence for people that are not paying attention at home, you should be. 1935 is Temple of Doom. 1936 is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Two years after that, 1938 is when The Last Crusade happens. This was an interesting movie to read about, Dagan, because this was something they were very deliberate about. They they basically requested a ton of scripts. Some of the scripts have actually leaked, and you can go read them online, that were going to be the you know the third Indiana Jones movie. One of them was going to be the Monkey King, Indiana Jones and the Monkey King. But ultimately, they settled on The Last Crusade, which was going to be a father-son story about Indiana Jones and his dad. And his dad is played by Sean Connery, very ably played by Sean Connery. What a great casting decision, especially with the, obviously, the the James Bond connection. Sure. And this movie's significant to me, Dagan, for a reason. It shows Indiana Jones as a young kid, played by River Phoenix. R.I.P. River Phoenix, who died 25 years ago. Unbelievable. That long ago? Wow. He obviously died for people that don't know. River Phoenix was kind of a, almost a James Dean type, short-lived, I don't want to say flash in the pan because that's a negative connotation, but like lightning in the bottle sort of actor that, who we never really got to see. No. Died His, way too young. You know, he would have probably been a very famous actor today, to, to this day. And, and, you know, his seminal role to me is Stand By Me, which was obviously an adaptation of, of a Stephen King novel, but... He was really good in this, and they and they show Indiana Jones. The movie actually, I think, starts with him, and they sh- they they answer certain questions about Indiana Jones. I think it's a little too convenient. I don't know that I really liked that they had to answer literally every question every about single Indiana Jones. thing. But the general the general gist of the story here is the Nazis are back. The Nazis never really left. Actually, it's 1938, and the Nazis are after the Holy Grail that would give everlasting life. Another Christian kind of reference, right? What's interesting to me about this movie, Dagan, is that it's not really about the Holy Grail. In fact, they never get the Holy Grail. And it's it's more about their relationship with each other, about Sean Connery's relationship with Harrison Ford, 
the older and the younger, this kind of resentment that boils between them and, and how they have to work together ultimately to solve this, this, this great caper that they find themselves in. Do you remember seeing The Last Crusade? This, again, it was 1989. I was five. I remember renting it from the library, Brookhaven Free Library. Gosh, you were only five. But do you remember seeing it in the theater? Yeah, we did see it in the theater. I really liked it. I loved it. I thought for me, there's always those little com- there's always those little comedic moments throughout Raiders and throughout Temple, and so that the the humor is peppered throughout. But one, I think it, what struck me as a 13 year old, I guess I was 13, 14, 15. What was I? No, so I was older. You were like 16, 15, 16. Yeah. Was the humor because of the exchanges between the Sean Connery character, the older Jones and and Indy. There was much more. There was much more humor in the movie, and like I mentioned earlier, it really it it gave Indy more dimension. You know, it gave this beloved character even more dimension, which I always really enjoyed. And there's so much charm. Sean, Con- the, these are two of the most charming actors, I would say. Two of the most utterly watchable actors playing off one another in Sean Connery and Harrison Ford. And it's really delightful. I think it's very, very enjoyable and just very, very, there's a, there's a joyful tone. And I know a lot's been said about, you know, them sort of, you know, quote unquote, disavowing Temple and Spielberg, especially wanting to echo the things that he felt were so success, inherently successful about Raiders. And they did that to, I think they did that to a certain degree, but I loved it. I, I really loved it. I think, I'll be honest with you. I think as a as a kid, by the time I had seen it, we rounded out the trilogy and I had seen them all, I would put it in third place. I think it was it, it went right in order for me as far as my preference, Raiders, Temple, and then Crusade. But I think it's really I think Crusade is a really good movie and I think I get a lot more out of it now because of the themes in the movie that I might not have been kept, you know, catching on to as a 15, 16-year-old. You are catching the stuff that's on the surface the adventure the danger the enemy the set pieces the the fight choreography all the stuff that's on the surface but when you really look what's underneath it's a very it's it's a little sentimental and spielberg gets a lot of shit for that but it works it works and i think how it's presented and who they use as tools to present it as far as the acting and everything it's I really, I really enjoy it. And you know, for for the younger viewers too that might not realize this, River Phoenix is Joaquin Phoenix's younger brother. Yes. So yes. if you don't realize, if you, you know, just in case you didn't know that. Joaquin Phoenix's seminal role, of course, is Merrill in Signs. Swing away, Merrill. <laughs> now, Henry Jones, Sean Connery's character, Henry Jones Sr., one of the kind of through lines is that he calls Indy Jr. And, and, he, and Indy obviously hates that. He that's hates kind it. Of, and that's kind of, kind of, you know, uh, a through line through the movie, but to me, I, I agree. I, I'm not comfortable calling Last Crusade the worst one because I it, it's it's hard. Like A New Hope is the worst of the of the first three Star Wars movies. I think obviously, I don't know that it's so obvious which one's the worst here. I guess maybe Last Crusade is, but they're they're much closer to each other in that regard because I really have I hold Last Crusade in high regard, but it's a little too literal for me. Like you said, it, this is a movie that compensates too much for for Temple of Doom, but I don't think it needed. There was no compensation necessary, so it's the same antagonists. It's, you know, we have to now know. So the, the River Phoenix sequence, we have to know. We, we find out answers to f- four fundamental questions about Indiana Jones in a few minutes. Yeah, list them off. We find out how he began to use a whip. We find out how he got his fedora. We find out how he got his scar, right? And I, I want to make sure I'm not missing any of these. So we find those things out. Oh, and why he hates snakes. Yep. 
which is obviously like a big joke. He's like he's not afraid of anything, but, he, but he, why he hates snakes. We find out those four fundamental questions in one sequence. And the answer is, I'm like, I don't really care. Like, it's kind of, it's cool that literally everything that happened to him occurs at this time. Because basically what happens is he's chasing after a cross. I think it's Coronado's cross. Yeah. That is being stolen by grave robbers. And he has to actually give it back to them. And the one of the robbers gives him a fedora. And he he's fall- dressed exactly, this guy's dressed exactly how he'll go on to dress. Right, exactly. Right, he and models he, himself after this guy. It, it's weird, It's we, it, it was weird to me, I'm like, you're modeling yourself after him? They're like, this is not a really a good person that you're modeling it after, that's interesting. And, you, you know, he. I don't need to really know why he's afraid of snakes, it's just funny that, that he's afraid of snakes because he's not really afraid of anything. <laughs> yeah. So I found that a little weird, but the overcompensation actually doesn't end there. What I find the weird, the weirder overcompensation to me, and it's fine, I guess, is that both Marcus Brody and Sala come back as touchstones to the original movie. So kind of his like, you know, his assistant friend and his like older kind of peer in academia make their returns as to kind of direct tethers to the original movie in Raiders. And I always find that a little strange. The one thing that I think that is really cool is that is kind of the, the love interest with Dr. Elsa Schneider, who is an Austrian archaeologist who ends up kind of tricking them and working for the Nazis. She's kind of like the love interest, but there she's, she turns on them and there really is no replacement for her. Like it's, it, it, it becomes, you know, more about the, the, the relationship between Sean Connery and, and, you know, obviously and, and Indiana Jones, not to say that there's not another love interest there is, but, you, you, right, you you know what I mean. I do. You know what's funny about that character, the Elsa character? She's not really presented as a femme fatale, like a classical femme fatale. In fact, I'm not really sure. Maybe I missed something. And I've seen. I will admit that I've seen this movie the least amount of times. I think I've only seen this movie three or four times. Is she is she presented as somebody? In other words, do you get hints early on or? as you go along that she's going to betray them or is that something that there's a is there a decisive mark in the movie where she decides that she's gonna i know what happens at the end i remember that whole bit i don't want to necessarily spoil anything if we don't have to i guess i know what happens with her and the goblet at the with the and the you know the cup at the end but is that is that a delineated thing or is that like an arc for her over the whole thing where she there's a betrayal? Because no, there is like a betrayal. I, I think I think it's telegraphed to the readers too, specifically because she's working with the Nazis. You kind of she's Austrian, so right. I mean, you know, Hitler was Austrian. I'm not necessarily saying all the Austrians were evil at this time, but I, I always felt like the that von was, traps weren't the von. No, the von traps weren't. He <laughs> tore the Nazi flag in half, in fact, with all of his might and strength. I love at the end of that movie. Great scene. Best. I was going to sing a song. I can't. I'm not Let's gonna start at the very beginning. <laughs> it's a very good place to start. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Fucking Von Trapp. Shut up for two seconds. Shut your Von Trapp. <laughs> oh, you, I see what you did there. Shut your goddamn Von Trapp. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's more telegraphed than that. I think it's pretty obvious that she's going to betray them. She's too German. Yeah. But... I like the Last Crusade. It was, it was, it's a movie that I, I've probably seen the least amount too. I'm just drawn to it the least, and I think I'm even drawn to it now even less than that because knowing, no, I never really realized until I read about it how how much of a compensation it is for Raiders. It, it, I wish I didn't read that because it, it kind of ruins it. Or it for, puts for that in your, now you can't unknow that. Right, can't like, unknow it, it because I always knew that they were similar. It was like a weird like bookend kind of situation, obviously, but. 
they could have done some really cool shit with it. And what, and what, knowing that there are all these scripts, both that you can read and that are unknown floating around for what this movie could have been that have nothing to do with the story. It wasn't called the last crusade. They were called something else. I think Jeffrey Bohm was the one who wrote the script for this one. It's, I just don't understand. Like, I like the father angle. I think that's really cool. It, it humanizes Indy. It, it fleshes him out a little bit because he seems kind of like even when in Raiders when he's packing, like he's, he seems kind of like lonely, like a bachelor. And, yeah, good point. I like tying. And, and, and so it, it brings him. It brings like a little bit of provenance into it. But I feel like it's just it's too much. And it, it's cool that it inspired Young Indy, which was I think a really great TV show that ran from like ninety one or something to really special, r- really trailblazing series. But. I don't know. I, I the last crusade to me is like the least memorable. I, and but it's funny, people are like, look how lighthearted it is as he's again mowing. To, he he punches a dude, a Nazi officer, on a blimp and throws him out the window. In the movie, he he mows down. He shoots three guys with one bullet on a train. There's violence. He, it's insane. There's like that. Violence. Anyone's like, oh, because everyone's having a fucking guffaw and a chuckle. It's the tone. It's the tone, and that does harken back to the old the, the old serialized adventures that they were that they were so inspired by. You know, so I do see it in that regard. But you know what I love, Kyle, about Last Crusade? And I do, I want to go to, I, I definitely want to go, we, we watched quite a few segments of it, but leading up to the, to the episode, you know, doing this episode, but I want to go back and watch it in its entirety. You know why? Because like you said already, it's very Spielbergian, unfortunately, in the fact that it has all these clever things, like the opening sequence with, with River Phoenix playing young Indy. It's it's very clever in seeing how you know how it started, his beginnings and things, but it overdoes it. Like you said, it overdoes it. it shows too many things. The, the the when we find out, it's wonderful that the the Sean Connery, you know, Indy's dad, the Sean Connery character, has a fear, and they talk about this in the movie. It's that's that's neat. That's clever. Indy has the fear of snakes. He has the fear of rats. But they they over they just pound it into your head instead of just saying it once or twice and leaving it alone. You know. Where now it's clever and cute. Now you're pounding us over the head with it. It's just bad writing. You know, it's just bad form and storytelling. But what I do love about the movie is that overall, they do something really cool in it where it's presented that the Sean, you know, that um, they, we'll just call him uh, Jones Sr. is and was a really her- terrible father. He cared much more about the jobs and his treasure hunting and the, and his archaeology and the things he was going after and basically neglected Indy. And they talk about this and Indy's sore about it in no uncertain terms. But what happens is, spoiler alert, but what happens is at the end of the movie, you see the, the Jones senior character kind of come full circle. And at the end, he's the one telling Indy to let something go. It's not the important thing. So you see it, you see him finally learn his lesson by telling his son the same lesson because Indy is the same exact way. And I love that you drew up that scene in Raiders where he's packing to go on the, his journey on his adventure, because you do get a taste of like, this guy's all about the work. Look at his apartment, look at his surroundings. He's either working at the, at the, at, as a professor at the college or he's, or he's going on these hunts. He has no other life. There's nobody else there. He could just go up and go wherever he wants. So he he's he is his father. And his father that gave him those traits is the one that takes him out at the end. It's very it's sentimental, but it's really I love that. I really I do love that. It's very clever and it's very well done. Yeah, the sentimentality is definitely not something that bothers me about about okay. it per se. Because 
we needed more human indie. Yeah. We got I think Temple of Doom humanizes him in his own way because he doesn't have to do anything there. He could have he could have walked into that Indian village and been like I how like point me to New Delhi or someplace where I can get a fucking yeah. airplane out of this hole, you know? And instead he sees this destitute place and he's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay here and do something about this. And so that humanized them in a way too. But this gave us background and context for Indy. And I agree, they're the same person. And I you know, I what I love about that scene at the end where where Sean Connery is asking Indy to to give give me your other hand. You know, give me your other hand. And and he's saying, like, I can reach it, Dad. I can reach it. You know? And Sean Connery, Henry Sr. says, Indiana. You know, and like that gets his attention. Like no one really calls him that. Good point. He wasn't calling him Junior for once. Right. Because in, in you know, it, Indiana is a nickname. It's not really his name. It's not his given name. But he never, he, it was a, a sign of respect and a sign of mutual respect that they listened to each other for once. And so, yeah, there is, it, it's, it's good. It's great in that way. And as both of us are very close to our father, so it's, it's, you know, it touches you in that way as well. Absolutely. I'm sure it touches people in the opposite way, people that don't have that closeness as well. Sure. Reason. Sure. Yeah. But great point. Yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, all I can say, and I want to go into the, some of the more questions we have. Well, let's go into some of these questions. Sure. Jimmy Valentine says, where do you think Indiana Jones goes next? Mm. I think Ford wants to make one last great movie with Indiana Jones being a swan, swan song. I, 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 I put this question in here just because we're not going to talk about Crystal Skull here, like I said in the beginning, because that is the that is technically after this. And what is that Crystal Skull? What's that? That's a, it's a movie. Oh, that I, I don't know. And barely remember. I don't know. It. And that takes place, I think, in the 50s. And <laughs> we were actually watching the Red Letter Media. restart watching the yes. Red Letter Media review about it, which is it's a berserk. I mean, that guy that there that I wish they I wish there were hundreds of those because that's all I would watch. <laughs> uh, did you watch the Ghostbusters remake no. one? No. About the Ghostbusters remake? Like, I haven't even Ghostbusters seen that remake? movie. Have you seen that? No, I'm not seeing that. No, no. That trash. And it has nothing to do with all female Ghostbusters. It has to do with the fact that it looks terrible. And Ghostbusters yeah. should be left alone. I agree. It When once his name died, um, the Ghostbuster that died. Oh, um, yeah. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, I can't, I can't. I'm blanking out. Hold on. Not Harold Ramis. Uh, no, Ernie. Yeah. When, when, no, he di- when he died. No, it's not Ernie either. But when he died, it was... It was that dream died with, with, you know, they wanted to get Ghostbusters 3 done and no, they were always, it was like a ship in the night at all times. Like someone didn't want to do it. And now, and now suddenly we just get this Ghostbusters. Anyway, that's like a, that's for another time. Don't get me, I don't, totally don't get me all started on that. Harold Ramis. Harold, oh, it was Ramis, right. And so I, I feel as if Harrison Ford I don't get the vibe that Harrison Ford wants to do this movie I didn't get the the vibe I don't get the vibe from Harrison Ford that he wants to do anything no every movie that he's been in in the last 15 years that I've seen him in it seems like he's begrudgingly there and I don't I don't I don't shame him of that I mean he's famous and he's rich and he doesn't have to do anything so I don't the Han Solo character in in episode 7 almost bummed me out like that was I'm like you don't you have no charisma here. Yeah, you don't want to be here, and you clearly made them kill you so that you didn't have to do another one. Oh, that was a th- yeah, that was a thing. Yeah, I agree with you on episode on Force Awakens call. Yeah, bum me out. Like, I, and I like Force Awakens. I think it's good. You I, like that movie? You I think do. Rogue One's great, but and I think you know the Last Jedi needs a lot of help. But th- when I saw him in that movie, I was like, you know what? Just hang it up, dude. Like, why are you even? You're ruining it. Yeah, and, and I, I, I'm I'm afraid to see an Indiana Jones who's going to be in his late seventies. In this movie, even if they put makeup on him and he's somehow in his late sixties or sixty or something like that, it's right. just like this isn't cool. And they tried obviously to kind of shoehorn Shia LaBeouf in to see if 
maybe that's, you know, the River Phoenix dream obviously died early on. And then the Young Indy thing, you know, was its own TV series. And then they just let it go for so long. And then they got Indiana Jones with this new kind of sidekick. And now, you know, none of it kind of percolated and mattered. I just wish they, this is something they should leave alone. All right, listen to me. I'm going to tell you something, all right? And Steven Spielberg, after you hear this, you're going to love it. So just give me a ring. I'm available. Just give, okay. give, me, a ring. give okay. me a ring. So here's what here's I have two thoughts on this. With Indy with Indy Five, my first thought is don't. Just don't. And I was actually thinking about just saying that and not saying anything more. But a couple of different ideas I had while I was putting my thoughts together for the episode occurred to me. You have to think outside of the box if you're gonna do Indy five. Now, you could go one or two directions, and I prefer one heavily over the other. I'll tell you what it is. For some odd reason, and a lot of people have been like, yeah, you're right. Hopefully a lot of people are like, yeah, you're right. We've never had a proper animated incarnation of Indiana Jones. I have no idea why. It doesn't make any sense. You could do, Indiana Jones would lend itself so well to animation, especially how involved Steven Spielberg was in animation in the 90s the 80s, late 80s into the 90s with all the things he did. I won't even list them off. Everybody knows what they are. Animaniacs, Tiny Toons, Freakazoid, you know, the the um, sci-fi stuff he did with DreamWorks. He, Indiana Jones would lend itself so well to an animated serial, an animated, a high quality, even like, let's say something made for cable, you know, something where you could do a high quality thing. I know they did this with things like Spawn, but you could make a really high-quality animated series or an animated feature film of Indiana Jones where it's much easier for Harrison Ford to do a voice if that's a thing. Why not? You know, I think there needs to be... I'm, I'm not going to go on a soapbox about this right now, but at some point I will. There needs to be a return to 2D traditional animated features in this country. There's a lot of talent on this planet that are able to do it. It doesn't have to just be CG. I'm not saying a CG animated indie thing wouldn't be cool maybe you know give it to a company like pixar you might be able to do something wonderful with that can you imagine yeah it'd be awesome but the pixar needs to speaking about pixar they need to lead the charge those guys creatively control not only pixar but disney now so the hats on the other you know the shoes on the other foot so they could really lead the charge in doing something i think they i think disney should consider doing a 2d animated hand-drawn marvel movie as well how amazing would that be? You want do you want you want to sell merchandise? Spend the money on doing one of these things. But for I'll get back to indie. We'll talk about the Marvel thing another time. But that would be wonderful. Or just very simply think outside the box. Maybe it's old indie telling a story. You know, you have all this space in there between the original trilogy to you could put it in between. You could put it before Raiders. You could put it somewhere in between those movies it could take place sometime after last crusade and have indy tell a story and the whole thing's shown in flashback why not it's a, it could be a cheesy and a dangerous vehicle for a movie to do it that way but there's enough brilliant people in hollywood that are already attached to this thing that could do this if they just put their minds to it you know but i'm especially um fond of the idea of an animated indie thing that could keep the harrison ford is aging and his inner curmudgeon is only growing as well. When he's not crashing airplanes and almost when he's not, himself. Yeah, exactly. Taking him out, taking himself out. <laughs> but, you know, 
Harrison and but but also Harrison Ford is very fond of his as the person who 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 wrote the last thing. What was his name? That was Jimmy Valentine. Jimmy, as Jimmy said. Oh, this is Vincent's. Yeah, yeah, uh, Vincent's brother. Uh, yeah. Hey, Jimmy. So he brings up a good point. But Harrison Ford is also very fond of his legacy as Indy, where he's less so about you know he killed himself as Han Solo. But so maybe there is a shot. But maybe we just have to do it. You know, it's not going to be Har- Harrison Ford seventy six now, seventy seven, whatever he is. He's not going to be swinging on vines and doing all this crazy stuff anymore. He's too old for that. So how it would can be we insane? Do, you know how can I mean? <laughs> so three things to consider. Number one is don't. Number two is animation. Number three is a formula that where you could use Harrison Ford and make it work, such as telling a story and setting it as a flashback. And maybe he's telling a story to a grand. I mean, I don't want to make it cheesy, but you know, there's a, there's ways of doing it, and there's so many situations that you could still put him in. You want to do set pieces, Stephen? Like, let's do it. You know what I mean? So, well, this goes into two questions we got that I want to acknowledge. Okay. Jacob Waller says, Indy, what direction do you, for Indy, which direction do you uh, wish to see the new films go? Prequels, old Indy, Adventures of Short Round, a retcon of Crystal Skull. Wow. And then Alex Ball asks a, a related question. He says, obviously Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was horrible. Now that Disney has its hooks in the franchise, do you think we will be getting a lot more of it, like Star Wars? I personally think Harrison will die again and they will start making prequels. The Here's my thing, Dagan, about this. We have to shake this, and by we, I mean like, me and you. Not me. We have no power. What? We, I, I very little power. I have a little more power than you. <laughs> but collectively, we have to stop going back to the well for things. It's getting stupid. It's not even getting old now. It's just getting stupid. This is the problem I have with Marvel. Everyone's like, I, I, people used to get mad at me all the time, especially kind of funny in IGN when I would say like, you know, these Marvel movies are dumb. Why do you want these? You're not a fan. Don't you? Like, I'm tired of it. I'm just I'm and and I haven't even and then people like, you haven't even seen a lot of them and that's true I haven't seen them and I have I, the last one I probably saw is like Iron Man which was good and that was like ten years ago but the the point is, is wow, that that I was the last one you saw the like, point is, is I don't care right and I know a lot of people do care but maybe we should collectively try to care about things that are a little more creative instead of rebooting Spider Man for literally literally the third time in fifteen years it's third time or fourth time no third time yeah you're right. For instance, that's a lot of times. instead of making instead of making this big deal that oh Spider Man's now gonna be in an Avengers and blah, it's like like who cares like we there's there's ideas out there that need to be explored there are great ideas and no one wants to take a risk and you know who's responsible for that we are because we you know everyone's like well the studios don't want to make investments in new ideas they want to make you know Blade Runner sequels and shit and I'm like you know. That's great, and I'm glad if you like those things. But you know what? You also get the other side of the coin because everyone's like, "Well, the the Marvel movies are still of a high quality, and people still get them, and you know they like them." And Black Panther was big, and all that. I'm like, you know what? That's great. You know what the other side of the coin is? Transformers. You know what the other side of the coin is? Indiana Jones. There's there's there is an other side to this this ugliness where where everyone is risk averse because you as an audience, and I'm saying all of us are as an audience in our own ways are risk averse. You know, it's going to the well. It's it's really true. It's going to the well instead of inventing something new. And I know there's, you know, who I feel bad for the most in all this are kids, because they don't have anything of their own to really get excited about. These are all rehashes of things that we loved as kids. That's great for nostalgia, and I love showing my 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 son and daughter things that I'm excited about that I grew up with. And some things, some things have been rehashed successfully, but it is so much more appealing to 
to a lot of us to just try something new, do something new. You use these things that we loved, Indiana Jones and Star Wars and Voltron and Transformers and GI Joe and everything. Use it as fuel. Use it as inspiration. These are the things that we loved. You know, these things are the things that we still love in perpetuity. But now let's use them as fuel and let's fuel up something else and let's try it. You know. It's so funny how, you know, I think, thank God for anime. It's the only thing that does anything. The only people that do anything new. Attack on Titan was not anything. It was Attack on Titan. You know what I mean? That's why those things resound so loudly when they come out and we're like, whoa, like, this is unbelievable. You know, because that's a new, it's a new thing. And that makes it all the more special. And I, I hear you. I totally hear you. I think that's a really good point. It's very selective, right? I understand that. I'm sure there are people screaming at their, their, you know, phone or whatever right now being like, well, you're the one who wants more Mega Man. You're the one who wants more Castlevania. You're the one. And I'm like, you know what? Video games are different. And and I think this is something you have to accept. There are, video games are mechanical and you play them. So if you, ha- if you hit on something that works in 2D or it works in 3D or it's a good, it, it feels good as a shooter or the combat's good, then you stick with that in a way. You don't, you don't overdo it, but you stick with that in a way because there's only so many ways to do that. Their investments of time and money, but if you have a if you have a ninety minutes, two hours, three hours to tell me a story, I defy you to tell me a story that you haven't told me yet. It's different. It's just different. Yeah. And so with movies and with TV shows and all this kind of stuff, when I see Marvel branding on something, I'm like, I literally, I literally probably audibly, I'm like, oh god, like what? Why more, more, <laughs> more of this? You really, I, yeah. It's. It gets it it's gets old, monotonous. dude, and I, I know people are so mad about that with me, and I, I get that. I but this is my it's my job to tell you my opinion, and it's I just I, I would love for someone to be like, yeah, this is easy money. Eventually, this is all going to collapse. I'm telling you right now, the Marvel thing is going to collapse, the Star Wars thing is going to collapse, and you're going to wish, you know, when the Marvel thing collapses, everyone's going to be. Like, I hate when people defend it, being like, look at all the money they made. What do I care? Right. But that's what the, you know, that's what these companies are giving you. That's what they're investing in, and that's what's on the big screen. So when you go see a movie on the weekend, that's what's on. You know, you have to you have to vote. You know, it's a, such a little cliche, but it's really true. You have to vote with your wallet. Exactly, and I, and I even with you know, I love Blade Runner, yeah. and even with I never saw the new one because I'm like I don't care. This is long dead. Yeah, yeah. The hell is this? When when they announced the 2049 or whatever it's called, I'm like, what in the hell is this? <laughs> and I like Jared Leto a lot too. Like, yeah. I love him. I love Thirty Seconds to Mars. I, I really like him. He's great. He is great. Very talented. Great dude. actor, great musician. And I, but I'm like, and I heard it was, you know, it's like, it, 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 it it's, I don't it's know. good. It's good, but I understand what you're saying. What about a year with no sequels, right? Like a year with just new things. That's you know, a great idea. The only way you discover the new Star Wars, the only way you discover the new Indiana Jones, the only way you discover the new X Men is to give us new things. And then you have something else to obsess over. Yeah. Instead of going back to, you know, I was, we, we were going to do a Star Wars expanded universe video, and I was watching videos that Star Wars put out about the expanded universe. And I'm like, and I even questioned myself where I'm like, why did I even care about this so much? What is so what is so very compelling about this that like we couldn't tell a different sci-fi story? You almost have to respect the fact that Battlestar Galactica went away after four four seasons. It didn't have to. You know, you almost have to respect the fact that you know there's in on one hand a boldness to to try to reinvent and do new things in pre-existing IP, and on the other hand, you have to really give a shout out to the people that are trying to build something new. Instead of giving us another Turtles iteration by Michael Bay. Instead of giving us another Transformers movie by Michael Bay. Instead of ruining Independence Day like they did with that new Independence Day movie. Ruined it. Destroyed it. Yeah. 
I could have written a better independent movie example. in my sleep. Perfect example. Yeah. yeah. I was furious when I saw that movie. Yeah. Because I'm a big Independence Day fan because I think the movie's brilliant. Yeah. Like, I think it, the movie's way more brilliant than people give it credit. It's for. very fun. It's very fun. And I'm like, oh, the in, the uh, the aliens are coming back. And that sounds cool. Like there was the, like they they sent a signal home being like, we're fucked. And, and it takes them all those years to get back here. And so that's cool. And then they just destroy it. And you, that's it, it's reminders like that. It's not the good things that come that are reminders of it because the good things are reminders that were lazy. The bad things are the reminders that were like, oh, no, we didn't want that to begin with. You've ruined it. <laughs> that was a mistake. So let's just think a little more critically moving forward. And so I, I say that with with and I know I know there's inconsistencies in my argument. You can remind them uh, uh, remind me of them on Twitter at no taxation. But you know what, Kyle? I love your idea of a of, as, of a mandatory freeze on sequels because the the movie studios still have to, you know, they still have to perpetuate themselves and make money. So they'd be forced to create something new that's good in order to bring in the revenue during that time. Right. You know, Exa- you, know you know what's a great I love e- that idea. You know what's a great example of this? And I don't know. I I, I don't want to speak out of turn about about this because I don't I don't know quite enough about the future of it, but. The Hunger Games is a really good example of this. Mm. They could have extracted... The, I love The Hunger Games. Specifically the first book. The second book is the same as the first book. The third book's a little weird. Yeah, the third but, book really turned me off. You know, we're going back to The Hunger Games in the second book. Oh, Jesus, yeah. God. But that's a good example of a phenomenon that ran its course. We don't need any more. You know, it was Harry Potter was almost there. Until they did the whatever beast, mystical beast. Or oh, like, yeah. You know, the spinoff and prequel. Yeah. And I was like, oh, like I, I thought J.K. Rowling had a little more restraint. But she doesn't. There, there, there are great examples where it's like, do you want, do you really want more Hunger Games? The, the story's kind of told. It's cool, right? It's a great story. All right. What's next? There are great creators and great writers and artists out there that are willing to do it. They just can't get the funding. They can't get the support. They can't get your eyeballs and your ears and yeah, your attention. They don't have the back. Because Star Wars is getting a movie every year and there's 8,000 EU books and there's a new Indiana Jones movie coming out and 17 Marvel movies and two movie, two concurrent series on, on Netflix that are also Marvel-based and now DC's trying to get into the act too. And it's like, you know, we were talking about it yesterday at dinner. True Detective had to have a second season uh, even though, and, and ruin that. It's like... Oh, boy. Leave good enough alone. Yeah. No, I hear you. Dagan, do you have anything else to add before we wrap it up? Um, No, just our lightning round. All right, let's do it. All right. I think that's it. Okay, so here we go. There are no wrong answers. Until you tell me they're right or wrong. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> okay. There might be some fill in the blanks in here, and the other words are self-explanatory. Throw me the idol. I throw you the... I don't know. Whip! Oh, the whip. Okay, yeah. I, 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 I'm not quotable with Indy at all. So don't. Yeah, really? Gonna, not really. No. Okay. Yeah. That's well. That's the very beginning of Raiders. So that might have been oh, yeah, a while yeah, since you've seen that. Whip. I'm sorry. Okay. Gun or whip? Whip is way cooler. That's a that's a Belmont throwback too, of course. Oh right, that's a good point. Indy or Han? It's a tough one, huh? Indy. You're incorrect. Oh. okay. <laughs> There are no wrong answers. Ford or Selleck? Oh, Ford. Selleck is great, though. Indy 5, yes or no? No. Snakes or rats? Like, what do I like more or what do I want to be with more? I don't know. Just, I'll just say rats. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> Jones Sr. or Jones Jr.? Jr. They're both great, though. 
animated Indiana Jones, yes or no? Yeah, I like that idea. Although, again, I, my, my preference would be no more. Steven, give me a call. It's Spielberg I'm talking about. Oh, okay. Um, Not you, Steven. <laughs> you too, Steven. Fight a duel or just shoot the guy? Just shoot the guy. What a, what a classic moment. What a classic story behind it, too. I, lo- I love that. That's the best. Who's scarier, the thuggy high priest or a Nazi officer? Oh, the thuggy high priest. The greatest villain in all the indie movies. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. But by, by the way, Tote, the Tote character mm-hmm. from Raiders, we would have never known who that guy was if it wasn't on an action figure. They never say the guy's name. Yeah, that's true. It might right? be in the credits. They never say. Yeah. Oh, maybe in the credits. And also, Rene Belloc, I think they could have explored that villain a little better. Yeah, they don't really flesh him He's out. He's a like, cool character and a great character actor. They should have done more. The, the, it, it, he really, that would have been an interesting through line for all three movies. Yeah. yeah. You know, somebody that's almost as skilled, almost as intelligent as Indy, a rival, and, you know, somebody that's always right on his tail. You know, that would have been a great vehicle to, yeah, you're right. Stephen, give Colin a call. Uh, How you, Stephen? Short, short round or data? Data. Marion Ravenwood or Willie Scott? Willie Scott. We have a really expensive relic now, okay? Museum or black market? Museum. It belongs in a museum. Huh. That's very noble of you. It's incorrect. No. <laughs> in- <laughs> Indiana Smith or Indiana Jones? Indiana Jones. Belloc or Tote? Belloc's the more mysterious character. Tote's just like a Nazi, you know? So you're going Bella. Yeah. Giant Boulder or Pit of Spikes? The Giant Boulder's iconic, obviously. We're I love it. It's so good. Chilled Monkey Brains or Giant Cockroaches? The Chilled Monkey Brains always intrigued me as a kid. That was yeah. always like very scary and very weird, especially how excited the guys were to eat it. <laughs> that's what I loved about that scene. Maybe it's delicious. And that's the end, my friend. Very good, Dagan. Thank you so much for that. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at No Taxation. Dagan is at Dagan1973. You can also follow us on Instagram. I am at CLS Moriarty. Dagan is at Dagan Likes to Draw. Remember, also, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. Your support over there, your financial support means a lot to us. It allows us to keep doing this show. Whether you want to support us at a dollar, two dollars, five dollars, whatever a month, you get different perks, including early access to the show. If you support us for the cost of a video game a year, a retail video game a year at CLS, you get this show every week, a week early. A week early, I should say. I was a worker. And that game sucks. Yeah, I mean, whatever game. So it, get, there's a good chance, like, if you bought Metal Gear Survive, the $60 was probably better spent on Collins last year. But if you were going to buy, you know, the upcoming Insomniac Spider game, Spider-Man game, which looks great, then maybe that's different. Mm. Until they make Spider-Man 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, and then you're going to want to kill yourself. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, your support is needed. But, of course, you can enjoy the content for free, and that's no big deal. But if you want to support us, please consider it. Otherwise, we'll see you next time for more Knockback. Thank you for your time. Hope you enjoyed. Goodbye. Collins Last Stand Knockback is fan-supported over at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and I want to thank you from the very bottom of my heart for your incredible kindness and generosity. Harshiv Bahia, Martin Beck, Fred Bentz, David Blodel, Mark Boggio, Spencer Brand, Isaac Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Matthew Brousseau, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhart, John Burry, Alex Cabrera, Will Caldwell, Luis Cancado, Matthew Canoy, Shermer Carter, William Cashel, Brian Chan, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, Kenneth Char, David Chestnut, Steve Clifford, Dan Clifford, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Nick Cummings, Daniel D'Amour, Daniel Delanikos, Mitchell Durkash, Luke Drake, David Ellis, Eric Finkenbeiner, Michael Fior, Connor Gazian, Alexander Gates, Michael Gates, Daniel 
Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Grablick, Richard Green, Ryan Greenwood, Miranda Grubba, Andres Guzman, Tyler Harris, Wyatt Henry, Andrew Hess, Josh Yeager, Paul Joyce, Jeremy Key, Nathaniel Khalil, Taylor Christian Laudrin, Donald Laws, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lewin Ray Loper, Josh M., Ryan T. Mandel, John McManus, Joe McPartland, Mike Menzel, Albert Miranda, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mukhtar, Brian Nietzsche, Connor Nesbitt, Josh Netzel, Adam Nix, Adam O., Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Reed K. Parker, Todd Paxton, Brendan Peavy, Marius Scarzen Peterson, Enrique Perez, Eric A. Peterson, Jason Pettit, Lawrence F. Prokop, Eric R. Pryor, Jordan Ray, Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Austin Riley, Ryan Robertson, Ramon Rodriguez Jr., Petro Rose, Michael Sanchez, Matthew Savoy, John Schultz, Chris Schaefer, Mike Shaw, Rayanne Scheinabarger, Toby Schutman, German Sadu, Jordan Smith, Riley Smith, Alexander Suarez, Ahmad Tamar, Tam Tran, Kevin Van Ekren, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Chris Wong, Michael Wells, Tyler Woodall, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zaniga, Super Shot ST, Casual Misfits Gaming, Mad Mock Media, Beric, Mubarak, Dav9834, Chris, Doc2015, and Random Guy Radio.